Welcome to the, another episode of the Turn 2 Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at m at sign 77 vv 1771 at sign rn5. Um, today we have two guests, two amazing guests actually, and Shine Childs, an NFBC Hall of Famer, who's also a great analyst, and John Legeza, an extremely sharp analyst, who's also a great player. But before I introduce uh, these two amazing guests, as always, I'm going to force them to sit through an awkward rant. Um, why is the fantasy baseball industry so fucked up? Um, why is it unlike any other business model and likely not worth the hours you put in? What? Why are people always praised for grinding? Is this the good thing? Like if Kathy from Accounts Payable is grinding out 50 invoices a day, but they're full of mistakes, is Jill from HR going to tweet out, oh, Kathy grinds invoices better than anyone in the industry. She's incredible. No, she's getting fucking fired. In fantasy, the industry analysts are um, sometimes self-claimed to be exceptional analysts, but poor players. When do you ever see in the real world someone that's a good analyst and provides an intelligent, well-thought-out plan but fails to execute this plan time after time after time after time? I've worked at a steel manufacturing plant as a controller, and like you have the metallurgist documenting mix of alloys that go into the furnace and putting in... Uh, but when would you ever see one of them putting just like the wrong mixture after putting it, putting a plan in place? When do you ever see someone that's actually good at analysis be fucking terrible at the execution in reality? Nowhere. It's just fantasy baseball. When people get terminated from their jobs, the company usually communicates this in an email or memo or says nothing if the employee is just not a high-level employee. In fantasy baseball, it's the opposite. It's the people getting terminated that go on social media and starts blabbering and like telling everyone they're getting fired. It's, it's just ass backwards to me. Finally, usually when a business gives to a charity, they're giving out something of value to someone that needs it. The charitable, the charitable cause is the main beneficiary and the company giving to the charity gets some minor recognition or publicity. I find it interesting that all these charity events in fantasy baseball are providing almost fucking zero incremental value. All these athons are the same regurgitated, regurgitated crap you hear all the time, and they're just, they're, they're just brand-building circle jerks. That's why every fucking person in the industry is getting involved in it. Maybe that's why all these fantasy baseball analysts are having mental breakdowns, right? Like, am I, am I wrong here? Like, it's, it's, just, it's just a, it's an odd industry to me. So... How you guys well, doing? You want, you want me to say something? Sure. Well, you're, I mean, you look at the fantasy. I mean, you're, you're I mean, what you describe and say, when we go to the early days in the, the uh, NFBC, when there was only everybody had one team and you go to the draft board, you analyze it, right? You want everybody to get better and you, and everybody has an opinion, but as they go on, you don't want to insult, like when you're reviewing it, because we used to sit there and look at draft boards and review them and say, you know, what you did here, but you don't want a person to walk away from there like, oh, this guy's horrible or whatever. And then you got the same thing, the dynamic now that people give information, your buddy there, Mike, he wants to rip everybody possible for, you know, their <laughs> team. But, you know, you you as a player, you're going to fail a lot. And you're if you're a good analyst, that doesn't mean that you necessarily it translate as playing on the playing field because you got to learn and make decisions and to be a better fantasy player you got to be a better decision maker 
And you could make right decisions in one year and players get hurt. As in like last year, I had Manoa two years ago, but last year he was a bum. So now, you know, how do you mix the making decisions and putting it all out? And But, you know, but also like you're, you don't want to be pimping your ride in the, you know, like in the Twitter world and, you know, kicking everybody when they're down or whatever. But, you know, we're all players. We all have opinions and, you know, we all want to get better and but we're going to we're going to look bad sometimes. And it is what it is, you know. It's hard. It's a it's a tough it's a tough industry. I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. I'm just saying the the, the baseball industry is just it's just so different than like when you look at it from a business stand like standpoint because ultimately people are trying to make money as a player or as an analyst. Like there is the, con- the contingent of people that are using it as just a hobby, but there is like the end game is probably monetary for the majority of people, and it's just like from a business model, it just it, it just seems so it seems so backwards to me. Uh, how it operates anyways that's my point i'm not really saying it's good or bad just set it like i know i guess maybe trying to make it sound interesting but it is interesting to me so i'll introduce you guys we got sean childs um i don't know if you want to introduce uh, yourself you um, do a lot of good work um you're nfbc hall of famer a lot of success as a player and uh respect what you do as as a writer and analyst, I've, I've read a lot of your stuff. I'm fortunate to have access to a lot of your stuff. So um, what do you want to say where people can find you and what, what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm uh, and on Twitter um, or X or whatever is Sean double underscore Childs. Um, I've worked uh, my way through the industry is, uh, you know, I'm a little different than, you know, you're in the new school and the, the social media. I was on the beginning of the NFBC where you kind of grinded on the message board. We had one team and used to fight it out, you know, for opinions and the get-go and the, the changing of the game. So we had a lot of free time when you got one team managing. So we used to, you know, be a lot different. So, I, you know, I end up, you know, being on the message board, writing some stuff, turned it into a job. And, you know, eventually I, I got to where I was working for Sports Illustrated. But unfortunately, I'm in the uh, rebuild and try to, you know, start it up and figure out, figure out if I can do it on my own type of thing. So I started uh, last May doing football and baseball fantasy analyst.substack.com and, you know, doing baseball and baseball, fantasy baseball and football content. And I don't think anybody does as much writing of all the player profiles that I do, but I look at it as I'm going to Las Vegas to draft some fantasy teams and I'm doing the research and documented it. And then I'm going to try to do the projections in a different way. Like, I'm not going to look at Steamer and all this other stuff. I'm going to do the projections in a system that I try trying to do to get a visual of it. And then uh, I use that, like um, we'll talk about later, the fancy points gain score to kind of give me a mental picture of what somebody looks like. And, um, you know, that's what I'm, I'm a player just like you. And I have an opinion and I'm not going to be right every year. And uh, But I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is on guys I like. I respect that, and I've read uh, a lot of your player uh, profiles, and you go into a, a good amount of depth. Like, I'm not going to say you grind, Sean, but um, you're, <laughs> I'm just joking. But you know, you you grind. You're, like, it's a lot. It's a lot of work you put into it, but it is it is good work. So, and um, respect that you put your money where your mouth is, and I'll be seeing you in Vegas. And um, I, I was uh, fortunate to meet you uh, over the past couple of years, and uh, you're I'm just, honestly you're a great guy. Um, John, just a, a quick oh. note uh, before you introduce John for our listeners. You don't actually want to put uh, your money where your mouth is. Money is a very filthy thing. I've worked in a lot of clubs and um, what kind of clubs? You know, dance halls. Um, don't put your money where your mouth is. Literally. Uh, back to you, Zach. Okay. Big John Stud. Yo yo. What if you have a mouthful of Bitcoin? 
Well, he's a great dancer, but I've, I've never had the pleasure. <laughs> All right. Somehow I avoided getting sucked into and signing off on that, whatever the hell that grinded your gears was at the beginning. I, I can give you a little bit, though, on why it's so effed up. Although I'm not going to agree with you on the on the charity stuff. Whatever reason people can get together for, you know, doing good, I think they should. You know what I mean? It's like commercializing Christmas. At the end of the day, if it's going to make people guy. happy, John's good, good stuff. I think we should do good stuff for people that need it. So that I, I would have to, that's the one part I couldn't I couldn't sign off on. You had me nodding the whole time before. Yes, it's effed up. The reason why it's so effed up is because of the money situation, right? People don't necessarily get paid for it. So you end up introducing a weird mix of, you know, ego and clout chasing, plus people that think that there is money in it and there isn't, people that think that pure grind is gonna do it. It doesn't. I hate to break it to you. As one of the few people that has been lucky enough to kind of have a job in this stuff you know you have to add value and do things differently you know i could speak for myself if it wasn't for the betting angle that i added it probably wouldn't be like you have to do a lot of different stuff you have to create things that and fill a gap that no one else is doing but to what you're saying it's actually a really interesting conversation quickly is that we went from the days of the analysts were in the spotlight they were also the earliest to draft, right? So you had your magazines, you had your early rankings, and this stuff better, right? These guys were sharp. They were also putting themselves out there. They had access to the best information. That's probably the other really important part of it. Then what happened is social media allowed us to introduce prominence to the actual players, right? People that were playing high stakes leagues. I'll be honest, I was playing for like $500 in the league before I ever heard of NFBC. I didn't know it went higher than that. I didn't. I thought we were crazy for doing that, you know? And it's hard to find people that would stay in that keeper league to do it, you know? Had to throw those guys. But once NFBC in particular started getting, you know, not even to say got prominence, but just the exposure, then it's quality and reputation, the people that are within that sphere, then that rising tide lifted all boats. And then you kind of got a mix of oil and water of people that were pure analysts drafting first. Now they're not doing any of that, right? We don't even know if they were high stakes players. And now they weren't the earliest people like, you know, like, like yourself, honestly. And you, even me, even though I'm not quite the volume player you are, Zach, I am in tune the entire year and I'm drafting DCs around Christmas. So it's hard, you know, to say we're not in touch all year. And that's kind of changed things. So I think we're still in that period of dust settling and media kind of getting eviscerated right now. So it's really like it's nobody's fault, but it's going to introduce that kind of ego. It is going to be an effed up business because the money isn't there. But hat tip to people like Sean and hopefully someone like myself that are going straight to the customer. Again, people, if you want to support your favorite guy, support, just support him directly, right? Support him directly. So how do you support you, John? You got better top. Yeah, you get me on Twitter at John Legaze or whatever. It streamlines all my stuff. You know, whatever, man. If you're following, if you're paying attention, my stuff is out there. You can, I'm always promoting it. I feel sick to my stomach the amount that I promote it sometimes. But it's how you get paid for this stuff, you know. If, and mine, mine's only ten bucks. God, the thing must have a like hundred hours of work in it already. So you're you know, really like I said, just, really just support John. the people directly. John grinds oh, better than anyone. <laughs> yeah. anyone. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey. I I'm okay with Sharon from HR, you know, and and little Willie with the gimpy leg, you know, doing their thing down in the mailroom. Like those people, <laughs> we need all those people. And to the younger just, people out there, just showing up to work is like half the battle because, you know what, lots of talent doesn't show up every day and that don't pay the bills. Yeah, no, I, you know, I get it. I don't say what I said completely seriously, but there is obviously a good element of truth to it. But um, I think Bjorn had um, uh, wanted to talk uh, before we actually get into the agenda. He had something he wanted to say. 
Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Champions League. I think I saw, uh, John, that you signed up for that, didn't you? That's awesome. Uh, yes, I mean, I'm actually, I don't know if you say I backdoored my way in. I I was not one of those people that was very arrogant. I come from point leagues and betting. So I like didn't think I could hang with people, the likes of Sean, Posma, and just, the, you know, all the great Hall of Famers out there that I know are objectively better than me. But I played one of these $125 qualifier leagues for the main event. It's a winner-take-all. Um, it's a really high-level competition. There's no overall, but it totally mimics it. So promotion for the NFBC, because I think that's the best entry-level contest. It's a fair amount of money, and it's a really high level of cup, and I won. So I'm going to the main event, and I already played DCs, and I asked Greg, who's the best guy ever, you know, if they would allow me to take the credit and put it to the CL, because I was most of the way there. They said, let's go, and I said, giddy up. So chances are I get my floor mopped, because as you know, Zach, I'm – I'm really not a very good DC player. I think I, hopefully my teams are much better this year, but I have not been very good. So well, I don't think I'm, I have a chance at it. But we'll see. I'm really glad to hear you signed up though. Sean, I, I don't I wasn't I don't know if have you signed up for that? Are you interested in that competition? I am there. I mean I do normally do three DCs a year just to get in and I'll throw one hat in a, a couple online championships. I just don't want to get too many online That's... championships to manage and then I do always do the main event. So I, I'm in. I was in the nineties. You know, once that's I got fan. in it, you know, it started to, you know, sell out better. Yeah, hey, that's can fantastic. Can I ask Sean a question now? Right, uh, just just one second. I just want to quick. I just want to quick. Um, talking. Talk about the, <laughs> the CLQ because I just really want to promote that. And they, they talked about, um, you know, maybe we could get people to get sponsored and stuff and um, things like that. And it actually want, I want to. Um, I'm going to come out to Vegas. I'm going to rent a ballroom, and I'm hoping to get ESPN or maybe Sports Illustrated involved. And it's going to be an art exhibit, and it's going to be called The Fantasy Man. And it's going to be all 15 competition uh, competitors, hopefully. And I want to focus on each part of their body, um, building the ultimate fantasy man. So for the listeners, if you could close your eyes and imagine you're entering a pitch-dark ballroom, and I'll just describe some of the exhibits to you. So we enter and it's pitch dark and we walk up and a spotlight comes on and it's a coffin and inside that coffin is a man and that man is in a burlap sack and there's a cutout from his waist to just above his stomach and I give you the roto gut. We go to exhibit two. There's a wall. There's a hole in the wall. I kneel down looking intently in this hole. What is it? What is this hole in the wall in the middle of the room? And out comes the hand and wrist of Ryan Venancio, drummer and baseball player. My, what a strong forearm. And we go to our third and final example exhibit, and it's a man dressed head to toe in skin tight black leather. The only cutout are for his lips, the fastest moving lips in the NFBC. It's John L. And he's saying tongue twisters as fast as he can. And I just want to focus on the body and we're going to build like a paper mache man and just everything. And then the lights come on and we look up and suspended 50 feet in the air is a bullpen guru because he wanted more feet content and he's crushing grapes to make wine for everyone for the amazing meal and auction we're about to have. So sign up for the CLQ, um, DM pictures of body parts that you might want to represent to the Draft Champions podcast. And man, it's going to be a great contest. Thank you. I thought you were going to go with Mike the Mouth with the lips. I was like, you know, me off there. He's got to earn his way into the contest. Plus, you know, I've I've seen his biceps, so uh, I have b- b- body parts in mind for other people too. 
Okay. Can you see why I was going to ask Sean about an, a tip on the OC before? I knew, I knew we were getting derailed with weird sex stuff before long. I knew it was happening. We had Sean grooving, and I wanted, I was curious because he was he mentioned specifically being careful not to use too many of them. And I wondered, Sean, is that because the smaller league format like opens the waiver pool and you have to kind of do more digging? It's my first time playing. I'm a little worried about that format also. Again, I don't think I'm going to do very well in the overall levels. I don't. I think that 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 um, me um, just the managing of teams. I don't want to commit too much on Sunday. I think it's more the waiver wire. I think that the draft champions for me uh, in the past is just, you know, I I haven't drafted any teams at all. I'm not. I'll. I want. I'm gonna go to Vegas on the 19th. I will probably drop and get in draft champions league like the 24th. I want. I figure, maybe three weeks out. I want it to be done by the time it gets to Vegas. So I'll do a couple back to back. But that's more of like just you want to get behind the, the the wheel and make decisions and be under pressure and build the teams. But I usually would treat the draft champions as kind of a practice draft and not try to, you know, move players around that I want to get in the main event, but see where they fall type of situation. But, you know, when this type of situ- event where you're trying to compete, now you're going to have to be think about it a little differently. So the D.C. is a different format. I think you because of the no pickups, you got to play it a little different. I think the online championship is a lot of people say it's harder to manage. I actually think it's easier for my style of managing. Um, I like to play in that event, but I don't want to have like I've only like would do three teams because it just I don't want to be a thing to the computer. I would rather have three main events than three online championship. So but I think that ultimately probably in the D.C. and the online championship. I mean, if you're going to win this type of thing, your pitching is probably going to have to be stronger. Um, where the main event, you know, you can be a little bit different. You can play it a little uh, different and depend on your league and stuff like that. Draft pick is going to, 15 teamer is going to dictate what you want better. If you get up front and you get a stud, one of those three first three bats, you could be a little different. You want to go with a ace pitcher in the middle or, you know, take one of those secondary um, players. I mean, it it's just a different range. And I, for me, where I stand right now, I've done all the research so far. But I haven't made one decision, and I don't know who I like. So I, I just think it's a whole different format. It's an interesting factor because you're trying to win this thing and be competitive at all of them. So now you have to kind of, you know, you can't, and you can't say, all right, I'm going to get my online championship, pick one, and have a cooner, and now I'm going to do. You can't see the window open, know what you're going to get. Oh, like, all right, I'm going to do it on this day, and I got pick 12, so it's going to be a wild card. But who knows, 12 might be better than one at the end of the year. So, so that. That's a that's an interesting dynamic to the game. Never mind who you're going to end up with in the league. You know they're going to vary depending on the window that you're going to draft this stuff. Yeah, I've been a coward. I haven't pulled the trigger and done any of those drafts yet. I thought maybe because everyone was rushing to do them, maybe I could find a window of opportunity by doing them at the very end. I'm sure someone else will thought of that. Not like I reinvented the wheel, but just that maybe I'd sacrifice a little bit of like CLV to avoid any injuries and give myself a chance against the more experienced players. I don't know. See, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm uh, <laughs> sure you're the favorite to finish in front of me, but uh, maybe I'll see you at the end. Maybe. Just uh, talking about the CLQs. Um, I, I, I think that um, there's a strategy to when you, you draft them. I wouldn't so much mind doing the, the OC early because you can fix injuries, but the DC, like I understand like, the trade-off between drafting early and drafting later is that you get the values before the market tightens and all the sheep start herding into the same players. Um, but then you also have the disadvantage of having injuries and closers moving spots and stuff like that. I 
probably going to wait as long as possible to do the, the DC, even though like I feel I've got, oh, like the early ones, I got a lot of good value on players because their ADP has moved. Um, but I don't think it's worth it. Um, like, uh, OC is different. I think there's a lot of, um, I don't think I would draft a whole lot differently, except you might get, you could have got screwed on like Ryan Presley if you drafted early, for example. Um, but what I do like about- But in the, the DC, that's disastrous. It's, right? yeah, it's, in the it's DC, a disaster. That is that's an absolute freaking disaster. It's, it's over. Yeah, and, and, that, and that, that goes along with what, like, that goes against what I said about, like, oh, all these, ant, like, you can be a really good analyst, but poor execution. Yeah, like, shit could happen. I, I get it. Um, but that's the one thing I do like about the, um, the one thing I do like about the CLQ is it's it's sort of like a solo shot. So you, you, you sort of disable the people like me who are volume players and just enter, like, 20 or 30 DCs. And, um, of course, you're going to have one or two that are going to be good, right? Um, what, what's that say? Like, if you have none, then you're probably doing pretty bad but um you sort of disable that it's sort of, sort of in essence like a solo shot but it also um balances it in that you have three entries so it's sort of like you're it, unless you're drafting the same players you're sort of going to be there's going to be a safety net in terms of like a diversification and um just it gives you the it takes away the the variance of just a one league and it's fantasy there's a lot of luck involved so it takes away some of the variance, yet levels the playing field in terms of like the volume of entry, right? So it's sort of like a one, like a one-time solo shot or a silver bullet type thing, but spread out over three leagues. So that's that's what I really that's what I like about the contest. Um, what I think it's good. What I probably would have changed is the DC, like you said. I I don't really think it belongs um, in this because it is a lot. I think the DCs are just a lot more. Than, than like as a purist or like a, like I don't know Sean if you agree with that um, like as a, someone who's been playing for a long time like working fab and the waiver wire and like it's just, it just such a big element to the game that the DC just doesn't have um, I would have used an OLAC like 150 OLAC but I get they want to I understand why they did the DCs because way more people do DCs than the OLAC so you're going to get more people in this contest so it makes sense I get it I guess they could have potentially thrown in an auction championship type of thing at a, at a me, me not at the like a higher level at a lower level to make that third dynamic to the game. But the the DCs are kind of like, I mean, how many times you go to the DC when you started in like December first doing this DC, you don't have like a whole layout of plan and stuff like that. But when you're adding this dynamic to this event, now you want to be, you know, you have more information later, and you're going to kind of make. You know kind of have it develop a better plan and think it through a little bit more rather than just saying all right i'm up who do i want out of the next 30 guys that are going to go off the board if i'm at the end and stuff like that and make some decisions like i i will put a lot more time into thought of trying to build a team than this than i would before when i was trying to just practice for a main event you know uh, yeah. but you know so i don't know so it's just uh would you I mean, wait as long as you online. could would you wait as long yeah. as you could to do the the dc no, well, I'll do it. Like I said, I'll do it next week. I'll start next yeah. week. No, okay. I'm, I'll, I want to get it out of the way because I'll do it slow. Um, but like the online championship, when you're talking about that, I will do that because I've seen the online championship when they laid the players move around that you like. They move up once we get to you know March and stuff's happening. So I will do that in early March because now I can bet my opinion on my research and, and draft who I want rather than, you know, midway in March, some guys hitting five or six home runs or some pitchers coming out of nowhere moving up. If I like them, I'd rather get them before they move up, you know? So yeah, I agree. You know, I, I, agree I can do another that. online championship later on some other, you know, that isn't tied to it um, and, you know, try to mix it up a different way later. So, 
Yeah, I'll probably just try to look for a softer OC with some names I don't recognize. Cherry, cherry pick it. Uh, you don't seem like the type of guy that would do that, though. You just want, you'll just enter. You want, I want I want to draft it this time. I'm just going to draft it. He's the guy we're avoiding. You know? <laughs> I don't know. No, because no, I mean, really, no. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, it's just, I mean, you don't know the name, but they're all, I mean, all these people know how to play fantasy baseball, and then you oh, don't. Yeah. This is this is the two, two two factors, right? If you're drafting with a bunch of people, you know. If you go to you go to Vegas, you're in a draft, and you know ten people, right? There's a good chance draft flow is going to be pretty consistent with ADP. Not exactly, but players can move around. If you get in a draft with three people you know and twelve guys that are brand new, you know, drafting with a magazine or whatever, the player pool is going to have a lot more ups and downs, peaks and valleys, and and you're going to have a, t- a lot of tough time reading it. But uh, you know, who, where they're going to go, and you know, so like, you know, if I walk, I go to Vegas, I see you, and you drafted a player that I liked in the seventh round and I knew you liked him and I liked him and I have like pick nine going into a double turn and you have two picks. I know if I want that guy, I better take him. If you got two picks, you're going to get him. You know, you just have to pay attention to people. And and, and that's part, that's one of my strengths early on is that I can kind of, kind of get a feel for what people like as well as I, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, just because I draft somebody, that that's the guy you have to beat me to because you know i'm going to get some you know plenty wrong plenty right it could be a guy in the 15th round that you need to beat me to not the guy in the sixth round or the third round or something like that so you know yeah, like I, you said earlier just stay healthy and stuff like that i think it's so like the nfbc is pretty incestuous like i'm seeing a lot of the same players in a lot of leagues so i think that is an underrated part and i know this is a conversation that might come up later with john that John is very much into player analysis. I'm into roster construction, but I, I think it's very much important to look at ADP and look at who your players are. Because like you said, if you're going into a double turn, Sean, and I know that you like player X, it's not just like, oh, I, I want to see what Sean's doing. I, I want to know what he's doing to steal his player. No, it's not, it's not so much me stealing his player. It's like, I want to get as many of the players that I want as possible. So. If I'm taking the player that you're going to take, that I also want, I'm going to get two of my guys instead of one. So it's like uh, it's like I'm, it's knowing your opponents helps you accumulate as many of the players you believe are helpful as possible. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's sort of how I think about it. And that's and I I think it's very important knowing other people's tendencies because it allows you to get like double the players that you normally would have. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, speaking of, um, before we get too far into, this, into the agenda, speaking of uh, sort of targeting leagues and stuff like that, Sean, I don't know if you heard anything that going on about the, the table arrangements in Las Vegas. Are you doing the main event on, in, on Saturday morning? I'm doing the main event on Saturday, yeah. Yeah, so historically, from what I understand, is we've talked about this probably the last two podcasts, is that the NFBC would separate certain people upon request. And nothing malicious about it. They would just do it because... They had other leagues together. They shared leagues. They they shared information or whatever it was. I laid out my argument against it. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's a, it's an interesting dynamic, and you know, over time, you know, early on, um, every when there was single leagues, you didn't have to worry about that. But you know, as you develop relationships, and you know, be a potentially could be a partner with somebody, you know, um, financially behind the scenes on something that, you know, you, you don't want to, you, you know, you can't really put somebody in the same thing if you're thing. the easiest way to come, you know, to, to avoid that is this, you know, if I'm doing say with a friend of mine that's back home, you know, just sign up with all the teams as it, under me and be a co-manager and then I'll never be in the league. So 
you you can just beat this you know the system that people will talk about like oh they're separated because they play together but you know it's 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 just a way it's just a way of um you know trying to keep it balanced but you know you, you don't want to you know align yourself with 10 people so you you avoid people either though um but you know i i have probably um you know a friend of mine christian from arizona that i do stuff with and um you know i do do daily stuff and if i win money i split it with him and he goes to vegas i he's going to draft a team right i'm going to manage it it doesn't i'm not going to be putting you know how can you be in the same lane together i can't be managing two teams right well the so. easy solution is just like you said like either jo- like share every team or don't join the contest at the same time if you don't want to be but the, the other problem with that is is greg won't um you know like I, two years ago i, I did a jim ferrari does the platinum right um, I don't, um, I don't have a, I help them out a little bit, but I'm not really, you know, out in front of it, but I did the main event for him and I, I drafted it. I managed all year. I won the league, but I got no credit for it, you know, in Greg's system, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, but he, you know, whatever. So, you know, so that's kind of like the trick of you trying to get the, you know, KJ's doing the overall and stuff like that for the rankings, but, you know, then you get all that dynamic of who wants, you know, you want to get credit for it, you know, what you've won too. So I don't know, there's, there's layers to it and, you know, there's not a right answer and I can get, see where people avoid it, but there's enough good players in any league, especially going to Vegas. It doesn't really matter. Like, I don't really, like, I don't care who's in my league. I don't, I've always thought that, you know, whoever's there, they have to make a decision and I explain why, you know, the better players, I kind of got a better feel for what they don't. If I don't know you, you know, it's kind of, you know, you might take a guy I like four rounds before and that kind of throws off my plan. Right. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it really, I think it's a pretty even playing field, like, overall. I don't think it, I don't think there's any strong, super strong tables or super weak tables. I think you do have some that are stronger than others based on historical performance. But just in the interest of transparency and fairness, I get that, like maybe you pair in an even higher stake league, like a platinum or an ultimate or something like that. But if you're just share information or friends, then you're going to never face that person in the in the main events. Or sort of like my question is, it like again? I have to repeat that I don't think anything malicious is going on. I don't think anything like not on the up and up is going on. I think it's just how it's always been. But isn't it by definition collusion? Like it's two people knowingly trying to not compete, right? Isn't that by definition collusion? No, it's not necessarily collusion, but it, it's not fair, and that's the point. I'm asking that's the question. I'm not, I'm not making a statement here. Oh, no, no, no. I could be very, I could be very clear. I mean, I had this position before I even knew I was going to be playing in the main event. You know this because I you saw it in a in a DM. Listen, you do not have to explain away it being malicious that has nothing to do with it that's neither here nor there and it, it's even keeping the you know pink elephant in the room the situation aside the fact of the matter is to keep everything above board it should be completely random like you said if it means that much to you to avoid that person you can't be put in the same hat then you got to play a different time i'm sorry that's the only way because and this is how rule making goes unfortunately and if anyone's ever Hung with lawyers or like any kind of politicians or something, you see that's why they all suck because it's really an impossible mission, man. Where does it end? You know, two people don't want to play now. In Sean's example, that you want to see is an exception. However, to be clear, in that case, those people should be 
listed as co-managers. And in that case, that solves the problem of credit also. And to be honest, that really ties in the entire thing always. And that's always the point when we're thinking about laws, rulemaking, this works for family stuff. Yo, you got to be fair. You make a black and white. It should fit on a bumper sticker. If it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, you need to start putting, it, it's not clear. And, and that's how you kill it in the crib. That's just how it goes. Because where does it end? So, I mean, me and you can not play. And me and Sean, well, man, now that I think about it, I can make a list of people I don't want to play with. The two people have to agree they don't want to play. Do the people in those leagues know it's okay? There's just way too many outs, and it's unfortunate because, again, to be it's okay to you clarify. I should have said you don't have to clarify, but it should go without saying that it doesn't have anything to do with being malicious. Nor I don't think it's malicious at all. I don't think it's malicious at all. But if there is shared money or shared information to the level that it compromises fairness in the league, then you can't play at the same time. Like, that's just that simple. Right now, in particular, NFBC has to make sure everything has to be fully above board. I'm not saying I don't think it was. I was supporting them through the very bottom of this thing. Okay, so again, I have the rare ability to hold kind of contradicting opinions at the same time, knowing that there sometimes is a time and a place, you know. But when it comes to rulemaking, man, keep it black and white, keep it clear. No, I don't like the idea, and I didn't know that, that like, unrelated people were able to avoid each other and it's a freedom that i'm not afforded oh unless i am and then all of a sudden everybody you know gets to choose to not play with anybody they don't want you know i only play with people in the bottom fifth percentile burnings you know so like it's whatever it just spins out of control and just easier to say keep it fair one two three fits in a bumper sticker yeah so like in my case that you know i guess the point is like with chris shinker that i gave an example like it is kind of a given that I'm going to be the co-manager and maybe that should be under the name right when the sign up is, you know, to, to, to clarify it. Cause I, I mean, I yeah. do, I mean, when I, cause I am on, by the time we're, when the, when the team page goes up, it's on my page, you know, I, you know, I am the co-manager, you know, so that's a little, you know, it is, it is, I am technically the co-manager, but I mean, I guess early on, you know, the, the mystique of the co-managers, like you put the co-manager and you go live, they charge you the $175 event fee and stuff like that. And maybe that's going more on the wayside of the cost. So, you know, so that was kind of a, a different dynamic. So, yeah. Well, there's I mean, an additional just, fee um, to have a co-manager in a live event? Used to be. Oh, wait, wait, oh. in the early on, you know, you'd pay like, because, you know, you have to pay the plate for the food thing. So it'd be like a hundred and fifty dollars or something what is it? They, I mean, still... I think it's like john fish gonna count like 15 beers at the fucking table <laughs> yeah no yeah it's more of the i think when you go to the events for vegas if you pick up a plate and you even if you pick up a plate and don't eat much they charge you like you know x amount for per plate that's used it's strange it's strange but they have to make a minimum of expense too so it's uh it usually washes out at the end right now uh okay let's get into fgp scores Sean, you talked about you, you said you wanted to talk about that. Maybe you explain what that is and then we'll get into it. Yeah, so um, you know, I wish I would have probably, you know, I've been doing like um pulling down the data for Greg's for years, and I probably got into writing in um fantasy baseball as a job in like 2012. And I've I had, you know, a spreadsheet I worked on, but um I wish I would have it would have uh, put this together maybe five or six years earlier, because then I could have maybe potentially caught Verlander and Kershaw and saw that they the advantage. So what what I what I do is I'll pull um, all what the data. What does it stand for for me? Just so people that don't know. Uh, fantasy points gain score. Um, and I've used you know I've worked at Sports Australia, so it's SI score. I worked at full time, and it's just kind of evolved. And I just I'm just made you know fantasy points gain. So a lot of people kind of do that stuff, 
Um, but it, they don't, it doesn't get referenced in the, um, our market too much other than I talk about it, I guess, more than most. Um, so what happens is I'll pull all the data from um, all the formats, but I'll use the, the, um, the, the online championship as my best line. It's going to be a little bit different than 15, but I figure I have more information. I have, you know, tw 2,300 teams of, um, of, 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 of players or whatever, or um, drafted teams of information. So you take all the medium stats, you know, if you finish in the, you know, whatever it is, we'll just say 2,700. If you finish in 1,350th place in any category, right, to finish in the middle of the category in every stat, what is it to, if I draft Ronald Acuna and I have the average player stats to finish middle, middle of all the categories. So if I needed three run, uh, you know, 300 home runs to finish in, you know, 1,400th place, say, you know, divided by 14 players, that's a number that I have for home runs. And then, you know, so last year, you know, and I adjusted every year. So last year, the average player on a 12-teamer, 257.6, he needed 76.4 runs, 21.4 home runs, 74.35 RBIs, 11.85 stolen bases. So that's the player. If you get that player and you get all 14 of them and they do that, you're going to finish probably in the middle of the pack, right? So now you, you got to beat that, you know, you, so now you add Ronald Acuna to that thing. How much does he move you up in the standing? So I'll go up to try to um, wash out like the top, like say um, um, maybe third of it or something. So I go up like, I think it's 800 spots each way. I go down 800 and up 800. So if I add that player and I divide it by the number of leagues and stuff like that for each category and come up with this math thing, and it's kind of described on my site if you want to go say to see it but what's the site you know, again? So what, what's your site again There's people are... it's a uh, fantasy uh analyst.substack.com and it's that that thing's right in the front of the front of the page and it's uh free but if you want the spreadsheet i think you gotta ask um just ask me for it and i'll approve it but i just um um whatever so anyway can, so like Akuna i left, just want to clarify left. the spelling of your name sean they can find you at sean s-h-a-w-n underscore underscore childs so, so like last year, and I've been doing this, say, since 2017, 2018, um, like Acuna, if you put him on your team, you gain 20 points in the standings, right? Um, and so you so you look at that player, all right, that's what his impact value is, you know what I mean? So if I get that player, so he gives you, at the end of the season, you have all the stats, right? So now you can say, what was, same with auction prices, like what was this player worth and what was his team? And now you have to apply that same information to projections, are, which are more, you know, projections are, you know, kind of guesswork or educated opinion or whatever. So when you're doing it, then you run them again and then you get the numbers. So when you when you line them up, when I put the to my when I do my cheat sheet, I'll have rank all the positions and I'll have their ADP. I'll rank them by ADP, but then I'll have that little number behind it. Like this guy's a plus two or a minus three or whatever. So I can kind of see like potentially in a draft that in the 17th round, this guy's kind of a even par third baseman where the guy that's going, getting drafted in the ninth round is about the same player. And the categories might not match up, and that's a kind of a factor because, it, I mean, I give you all five numbers for all five categories, the same for pitching. And I think, you know, the player rate of that Razball does, I, I talked to them in um, last March when I was at Labor, is that um, I was looking at it and I was like, I mean, they're, they're, a lot of their results are similar, but I don't think they they handle the the save situation and even steals. They seem like they were off a little bit. Like where I'm really using NFBC numbers, 
You know what I mean? I'm, I have that that data point. But every if you don't, um, every starting pitcher is going to have a negative in saves. You know, and so you really kind of have a four category, four category player, but they can still be more impactful because they they've only there's only nine pitchers compared to 14 hitters. So, um, you know, that's kind of the the goal, and it, and it I adjust it every year. So steals went up last year. So if I go back to look at 2022 data, I could switch it to this year's projections or something to compare players. But ultimately, it's a year to year thing. So. Um, it's just a way to look at players. And then when like when I look at um, writing about the players, you probably see that I do it. I put the ADP and then I see how they ranked last year. And so if they did the same, are they a value or are they getting drafted early? And, you know, you're going to have some potential and things change. So you try to get that level of thought process and what you're trying to do there. So it's kind of uh, complicated. And I also was lazy for a long time. Like I didn't do the auction prices, but I did it over the winter. Like Acuna earned like $65, but Greg's NFBC drafts the auctions this year. The prices are completely insane and it's a complete circus, but you know what I mean? So, you know, so what do you think? What would you pay for Acuna in an auction? Um, well, he was he, in the thing that I have right here, he says he was worth what he did last year was $65, but that's in a, you know, a, um, a 180 80 split, but it's the, um, the thing is, when you when you spend that much money on so many people are spending in the the 150 range, I guess those most of those auctions are. Um, they, you can do a lot more drafts than you used to be um, auctions. I mean, they used to be used to be only a couple of them, so you had to bet your money. But now you 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 could do one tonight, one tomorrow, one tomorrow. So you can fight for players, but they ends up being you end up getting a lot better players from like five dollars and less than you would. So if these if the prices were going down, like a twelve dollar player um is he really that much better than a five dollar player and that's what you have to look at so i haven't done any of them but i just saw the first so i've looked at the auction price i was like wow these are really high i don't know how i would approach it right now but i will have to do some stuff because i went for auctions. 71 uh two days ago in an auction i was in you did what you did one he went I, 71 yeah that's i th i honestly think it's kind of you know he still could have a good season but it's it's too much to uh to put the thing and you know i have the you know the split it like i said 180 80 but i could just if i switched it right here in front of me i could say that you know if you want to spend 100 on uh pitching and you know 160 on hitting it it would change all, all the values for all the players too so right but, do you so, do uh, I mean, how do you do the, the the catcher uh bump in in uh in your model like the, it has to like those average numbers don't apply to catchers that like how do you how do, how, how does the math work there so if you take what happens is, is if you're basically when you you can once you have all the numbers and even for the the completed stuff you just sort it by positions. So even though a guy's a plus two, the other the other catchers that maybe ten or twelve might be minus four or fives. So there's still it's a, all, a it's, so it's 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 all relative rather than like um, in uh, like a whole number. So you're working in relative yeah. numbers. Yeah. So you could have an advantage a catcher at at a like a two of more than you could have a hitter being a four because the next the next guy you get two rounds or later could be a three or a two you know so you you know but you know ultimately when you're building the foundation of your team you want the higher profile of, of like a five five category player if possible or at least four with the steals and home runs and stuff like that so it's not you know it's not a perfect thing and i guess when people use like roto lab or something like that and they're doing the drafts they're putting the information and add the team they can see it get built but this gives me like on a cheat sheet mental picture of the thing or something that's a little bit different 
But other, like you said, this isn't fantasy points gain score. Isn't you know they do it. I just you know matched it up with Bragg's event or the NFBC. You know since uh, you know for a few years, and I use it as a reference. And it it's not like I'm you know kicking the door down and winning, but it's not like I actually you know hard drafting off of it either. I just you know players I like that I go that I think are value. But it's a good it's a good checkpoint at the end of the year and and good to match up to see what how players are getting drafted this year compared to what they did last year and you know stuff like that so i don't know so in practice let's say you're in a draft and um, using using your method let's just uh, take an actual example so how would you go about deciding who to draft between william Contreras and glaber torres because one's a catcher one's a second baseman um you're comparing relative like point scores but there's a positional element to that so i get when you compare catchers to catchers but what about how do you decide when to take a catcher, like say in round six, like around five? Um, the way that I would approach it is that um, when I, you know, when I go to the draft, I, I kind of know where I'm going to go at different positions. Like if I'm, you know, if I say this year in this draft, you know, Rochman gets drafted, Contreras gets drafted third. So they have a difference of rounds of like, you know, what, three or four rounds of ADP. Um, I would say, all right, I like Rochman. I like Contreras. But my next catcher might be, you know, the twelfth rounder. So, where do if I don't go here, if I want him, I'm going to go to this place and you know and have a round. So I kind of think of it as like, I don't take the next guy off the list. I'm not going to go like because Sal Perez is going in the eighth round and whatever his number is. I don't have it sorted by rate. I could probably do it quick, but um, uh, but anyways, I, you know, I'm I'm not a drop down, take the next available guy thing. I'm taking a guy for a reason that I like him. That's a little bit different, and you know, and I like, and I do the projections. So, you know, and I have to anybody that's a bad, you know, player. You still have, to, even if you don't like them, you still have to give a fair evaluation and and project their playing time and their skill set will you know match up somewhat with what they've done in the past. Um, but you just kind of pick in direction, I guess. Um, so. It's not, it's hard to, you know, like I said, you know, it's more of a team build and in personal structure, you know. Right. So, Sean, average hit rate, what is that? All right. So, this is, um, if you're looking at, um, when you're looking at a guy, a player for power, right? Do you, do, do you, what, what, if you see a guy in a minor leagues and hits 15 home runs, right? What, what is, what is your value? Say the guy had, you know, 450 at bats, he had 15 home runs. Um, you think, all right, that guy can get 550 at bats. You know, can he get to 20 home runs? Are you looking, you know, at OPS or, um, you know, what do you look when you look at a player? What do you look for? Let me ask you that question first. When I look at a player, are we talking like minor league players or a minor league player or a young player? You know, it can okay. be any any level that you want it. You know, so when you're looking at say, uh, you know, who's give me a name that this year, um, let's say. Um, well, just use Glaber Torres as an example because you brought him up. So when you're looking at Glaber Torres last year, he had 25 home runs, you know. So when you're looking at him, you know what he's done in the majors, right? Do you mm -hmm. think that potential? You know, do you think that guy is potentially could go backwards in power, or he could get to 30? What What is your reasoning for making a guy go up and down? You oh, know, is yeah. it just you start with the player? You just pick, you, you just you just the plate appearances first and foremost, I think. Like in, yeah, in, his, so, in his case, it's probably not much of an adjustment, but I'm, I'm saying in general, um, the plate appearances are first. How like what's the playing time going to be? Yeah. So, the, so what what it is is that you know the OP uh, like the OPS when you're like if somebody hits a five you know a, a 
um, it's like 500, you look at it and like, all right, that's a pretty good number, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't translate as well. So, you know, if somebody, if you see a guy like um, Ruiz from, um, from, um, you know, that I liked him a lot last year, I had him on yes. a lot of teams, I fought for him, you know, he got the steals that he did, didn't get the power, he got six home runs. So now, now I have some information in the majors he had in the minor league. So I'm looking at a number in the minors, his, his average hit rate was like 1.61. And that's telling me that guy, you know, could hit 15 home runs, right? What, if what, a guy's what you, a what, how is the average hit rate calculated just because people might not know? So what's what's the calculation? Total, total, total bases divided by hits, you know, you know, or or you know, one for a singles one, a doubles two, a triples okay. three, and a home runs four. Okay, so total bases divided by average hits. So when you're looking at, I'm just looking for a mental pitcher relatively quick, quick quickly, and I'm looking for direction of a player. You know, is is his average hit rate getting um, higher? Right. So if a guy gets 550 at bats and he has an average hit rate of 175 or higher that guy has a really good chance regardless if he hits a lot of ground balls of exit velocity if he's showing that number he has a good chance of hitting 30 home runs and it like you said it has to be the playing time but like when the case of ruiz where i thought he could hit 10 home runs he was like 1.61 but like a guy that's like a real like judy a really light hitting guy it would be like a 1.3 you know a 1.5 is like a neutral maybe like 15, but then you get a little above that in the one sixes, 165, that you can, um, you know, you can see a number that's uh, um, where it's kind of going the right direction. So I gave you the Torres example. So his, his average hit rate last year was 1.65. So he had 25 home runs and he 565 bats. So that tells me that that guy at where he is right now, he's not a 30 home run hitter with 550 at bats. But if that number was 175 and he see in 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 he had like only a less of a player and he had 375 at bats and i thought he would get full time and i and i saw a, a 1.75 i would think that guy has 30 home run potential um you know and then you still have to look at those other metrics behind him um a little bit you know you know was this especially like um like they talk about Dela cruz you know like uh ellie like yeah. his you know whatever his power is and stuff like that um that number could be really, really high, but he hasn't had that many at bats and he did hit that many home runs in the majors and he had a high ground ball rate. But what when the major in the minors, his ground ball rate might have been like forty four percent or instead of like fifty three or whatever it is, you know, something like that. So you I mean you know, you're kinda of looking at that and that's that kind of stuff comes out when you do the projections because you're gonna have to import some sort of baseline for each player. And I don't use like three year averages. I'm gonna kinda eyeball it and put it in a fair range or make in you know, I'm gonna get stuff wrong, but um but like uh, I would say that. So does, is there a certain number that say translates to like a thirty home run bat? Like is there a like have you yeah, regressed 1. it? One point seven five or higher is one point seven five or higher. And and if you look at on uh, OPS, it does not. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, slugging. I keep saying OPS, but slugging percentage. Sorry, I'm saying it wrong. Um, you know, but slugging percentage. If it's five hundred, it's not guaranteed the guy's going to be a, a thirty home run hitter. And, and some guys are like four forty. So is I think the one seven five number is a better number. Um, but nobody ever lists it. Nobody talks about it. But it's me when I'm writing it. I'm looking for like like I said, if a guy's improving in that area, um, it'll show it. And then like the Ruiz situation, it'll tell me like, all right, this guy's really not. Uh, actually, the perfect example of a player this year is the Homer uh, Horner guy from uh, the Cubs. Yeah. You know, he's got ten, he's got ten home runs. He's got nine home runs. Do you, so when you do you draft him? I've drafted him. Yep. Do you think do now when you look at that profile, do you think he could hit 15 home runs? 
No. No. So you're just saying that that, that he's gonna you draft him for ten home runs and you want the forty steals. I want the average. I want the steals. Bad. If yeah, if, so, if, he, if he, it depends on the build of my team, yeah. Yeah. So when you're looking at his his number, his his uh, that average hit rate is like like one point four or one point three nine. Like that's a really low number. And he, you add in the, like the number of barrels, like he had like you know maybe twenty barrels last few years, and he just doesn't do it. But I mean, uh, so it's kind of like when you see that player obviously over the winter he could get stronger or change his swing path or try to work on stuff and that that's a different part of the equation but right now when i see him as like that guy's not going to hit 15 home runs or 18 home runs he's not even though he looked like he's improving a little bit i don't think he's going to look a lot higher unless something else changes which is you know an unknown for me to to make an educated decision um, but i kind of compared him when i was writing to like sam fralick like that guy's average hit rate and everything stuff like that and his contact batting average and all that other stuff was better like he looked like he would be a better value in those situations than horner based on the adp if he got the same number of at bats but you know those are the kind of the draft day uh, decisions you're trying to make when you're uh, being a player or an analyst right i'm just looking at corbin carroll for a second it's it's your total bases divided by hits, right? Yeah. So Carol 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 was one point seven seven six last year. So it's your total base is one point seven seven six. Now, for a player like him, um, what, what what was the what was the denominator? Uh, what was the numerator there? So one so one point seven five or higher. So if he you know he no no sorry no, no, one hundred sixty one hits. So divided by. Um, no, no, no. Total bases, man. Yeah, what was, total bases. Was, what was the total bases? Right. I'm, trying, I'm trying to calculate. If you go to baseball reference, it'll be there. Uh, I don't right. know. I'm, 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 I'm just a favor. Anyways, my, anyways, long story short. Maybe no, no. I don't, well, they, they have total bases on the custom page, but this is actually really interesting. So, Sean, you're making me love my uh, Nelson Velasquez pick. I actually, funny, as you guys were filibustering, I just added it to my sheet. So I just like ran it for the entire league and formatted it. And it's pretty interesting, you know, the guys at the top with enough at-bats to matter are all really, really good. Nelson Velasquez is right at the top. Schwarber, Alonzo, Judge, then like Gary Sanchez, Mac Muncie, but you believe that, right? Interesting. Stanton's up there still. All those guys that are big bombers, the big bombers are going to be 2.0 or higher. And that's like, you know, those guys could hit 40 home runs. Um, And then, you know, like you said, it it is the the at-bats, but like it's, it's more of a, like a, snapshot mental picture of what you're looking for and it's you know it's not guaranteed but I, I can tell you for sure that in 2019 I mean Bellinger you know I had him everywhere and his numbers you know with him adding some steals it really matched up like like that was a, a good number for him even like, like Bellinger last year was a 1.71 and you know he just you know obviously everybody knows his, his hard hit rate and all that stuff went backwards and stuff like that but you know the potential is there and then you you know you look at the direction and you know but are they going forward or can it rebound and you're just trying to make you know i think a player for the red sox the grissom guy you know yeah. you look at like Vaughn. that profile you're like this guy's got no speed on his resume his power doesn't look good and then you're trying to evaluate can that guy pop in some certain area and um and i think you know when you look at the his average uh hit rate it shows a little bit more than he's had so you like I would probably think there's more there than the naked eye type of thing. You know what I mean? He's got some speed in the minors. 
Yeah. Even back to my back to my question on Corbin Carroll. Now that I have the numbers here, I just want to figure out how to do this. So, you, according to your numbers, he's a one point seven seven, give or take. So you're saying, he, like, according to your numbers, he's a he's a potential thirty home run bat, Corbin Carroll. However, if you take his triples, he almost led. Well, he led the NL in triples. If you make those doubles, his score moves from one point seven seven to one point seven one, which I guess isn't huge, but. Um, like that's, I guess, technically a flaw in that system, right? Like just fast. Well, yeah, I mean, you could, you could, you could say that in a way, and I'll give you an example of. There's a two players that, that you can use this example. Grady Sizemore, when he came into the league, right? He the yeah. first year he kind of popped, and he got to the majors, and he got full time at bats. So when there's a guy for um, what's the guy from Milwaukee? Tyler Black. Yeah. Is that the guy? If you look at his profile, he has kind of what you're describing of Carroll. He has got like the 20 something doubles, the 12 triples and whatever home runs. So his average hit rate is going to be higher. So I, when I looked at him, I was like, well, this guy potentially reminded me of Sizemore where in the minors, it didn't look like he had that power, but those average hit rate was high, was higher. And I don't even know when the comparison for the slugging percentage, what it was, but, um, but to me, like that guy was really intriguing, especially when you matched it up with the, um, you know, his, his approach and stuff like that. So um, it's just like I said, it's more of a snapshot, and you don't, it doesn't. The guy necessarily like if you're drafting Carroll, if he had 25 home runs and stole 50 bases, you'd be happy. You'd like like to see, you know, uh, the runs repeated, and you'd like to see the batting average. Uh, what did he, have, you know, what did he have last year for batting? You know, so Carroll, you think if you're drafting Carroll, you're thinking he's going to hit 320. Like he, and if he gets more hits, other stuff's going to happen as well. So. Um, the RBIs didn't match up and stuff like that. The batting order is a factor. Uh, but like I said, it's more of a, trying to get a mental picture of direction in current state and things. So it's a different one. Well, it's just something I use that, that that's not really um, used anywhere else. Do you think this incorporates sort of like the um, thumb, like just like non-mathematical approach of looking at someone's doubles versus home runs? So like, look, get, take a guy like Matt Chapman who had 39 doubles and 17 home runs last year. Intuitively, you might say that a person with that ratio might be subject to hit more home runs the next year, or it, it should normalize to a degree. Do you think using the average hit rate incorporates that or does the opposite it, it, or, or neither? It does. I mean, the, the perfect example of probably is um, of that situation is probably Castellano. Didn't he have like 59 doubles one year, a few years back? Um, he loved the like, doubles in uh, Tiger Stadium or whatever, whatever, whatever you call it. Yeah, he had a ton of doubles one year, and then you're like, all right, he's got all those doubles. He naturally would have it. But then, I mean, you know, so, you know, he's kind of he, – he's gotten better. I think he's getting more, like 28 home runs and stuff like that. He had a down year two years ago. But, you know, so, like, you know, is he does he classify as a 30 home run hitter or is he, you know, really a low 20 or 25? And that's what you're trying to kind of get at. And then you're trying to incorporate where they're getting drafted too. So, but like I said, it's more of a snapshot of the guy. Um, it's not like an exact science, but – it's a to me it's a better reference point than looking at slugging percentage and bottom line is like i can get like you can see a guy trending up when he starts to get a little bit stronger um and maybe doesn't pop so you're thinking this there there could be more stuff i mean last year i mean i mean what did you, what did you think bobby witt was going to do last year um I'm trying to remember what i i thought he i, I thought he was going to be fantastic i thought like the the way he like ended. the 30 home runs did he does that surprise you um. No, it didn't really surprise me. Like, uh, 
Because I mean, I thought like I his mean, like just looking at him hit like seeing some of the just watching him play, I, he he looks like he's definitely could be a thirty home run bat, and they're still the the steals are going to be there. No, like I think yeah. he, he exceeded my expectations, but not by a lot. Yeah, so he, well, last year, I mean, I, I moved to pick nine on purpose to take Witt in a lot of leagues. Um, but like in 2021, when he had that, um, he was in the minors, and I used two levels in 2021, his average hit rate was 1.986. So that first year when he was with Kansas City, he was a 1.687. So he's a young guy. So, you know, I, I thought that his average hit rate should be a lot higher, and he had the potential to be a 30 home run hitter out of the gate. And I think I pretty much... I nailed him when I wrote it and I drafted him as the, you know, the, the decision was everybody was taking Bichette last year, right? They were moving him up early, but Witt was getting drafted behind him. I'm like, Witt is going to out Homer Bichette and he's going to out steal him by a lot. I'll take the beaten and batting average and I'll take the beaten and runs, but I think Witt is going to end up being the more valuable fantasy player and I targeted him. But so his average hit rate jumped to 1.791 last year. He hit 30 home runs, but he needed 641 at bats. But, you know, but it kind of like he got to where, you know, his his minor league resume kind of showed that it was a little bit more. So, right. like I said, that's, you know, it, it's really good, you know, reference point. I think it really was a strong data point for um, Alonzo and Alvarez when they were coming up from the minors, too. You know, I was kind of ahead of the curve and I didn't like have them everywhere. But, I you know, I, I saw saw some of that stuff in advance, but it's not perfect. I mean, like I said, but I'm like I'm on an island using it. What about contact batting average? That's the other thing. Contact batting average uh, that you. Uh, I am. Uh, that's an interesting thing because it's um, you know people talk about batting average balls in play, right? And do you when you do you look at that when you look at a player profile? Sure. Yeah. And is it important to you? Yeah. Is if the guy's hitting 280, uh, his batting average in ball in play, what does that what does that tell you? Um, depends on what type of player he is, I guess, right? Like if he's hitting, it depends if he hits fly balls, more fly ball tendency or ground ball tendency, more pull hit. So, like some people are more t prone to a lower ball, batting average balls in place, right? Is that, would you yeah. agree? Yeah. Sorry. So the way just, just like, seeing, a number, seeing a number in a vacuum doesn't really tell me much. Yeah. So, so the way I look at, think of it is that, uh, uh, if a guy, um, has a 320 um, Babbitt and another guy has a 320 Babbitt, it doesn't translate the same. Like exactly what you're saying. Like, so one guy could be a fly ball hitter, one guy could hit home runs, one guy could be a ground ball hitter, a different profile. And people always say, well, this guy got unlucky. The way I look at bat the batting average well play, if you don't, if you're not making solid contact, you're making weak contact, which makes, you know, more ground balls, easier fly uh, pop-ups and easier outs. And I think there is a variance to it parallel to what I'm thinking, but I don't think it's when I'm looking at a player's profile, I can't get that number exactly. You know what I mean? Like Barry, you know, what's what's Barry Bonds is I use it when I, when I write up when I do it. And that's on the site. You can find it, too. But Barry Bonds is like his career. Babbitt's like 286. So a good example um, to use is that um, what's uh, uh, Ramirez from Cleveland, Jose Ramirez. Yep. So a few years back, um, he hit was hitting like 300, 313, and then he slid to like 260 something, right? So when you're looking at contact batting average, you're thinking, well, all right, this guy's, this guy hit 263. I think he can get back to 300. He hit 313 two years ago. I think he can get there. Yeah, I, I, I like him, right? 
and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm not, I couldn't even tell you what his BABIP was for those couple of years. You could probably look it up when you're doing it, but so I have no idea. So I'm, and I'm looking at, it, I'm like, well, his contact batting average, the year that he hit, hit 263 was 310. That's the highest he ever could hit for batting average ever. That's what he hit when he put the ball in play. He could never hit higher than that. That's the highest batting average he could have had for that year. If everybody, everything, you know, uh, you know, when he put the ball in play, that's what he hit. So what happens with him is that he ended up being more of a fly ball hitter. And so he has a lot more easier outs at a fly ball. So that kind of hurt him a little bit. Um, he doesn't strike. He doesn't um, strike out that much. Um, so he gets more at bat. So that can potentially help him get more hits. But um, but he's still his contact batting average in there. So when I saw that player, um, I kind of wasn't I didn't gravitate to him because I didn't think the batting average. I think he could hit 280 or something like that because his gap would be tighter. Um, but anyways, contact batting averages basically hits divided by uh, divided by at at bats minus strikeouts. So like when Shannon and, and does, home and home runs, right? No, the home. I don't care about the home runs. I'm not taking the home runs off. Babbitt oh, takes so the home the, runs so, off. So okay, so you're not you're not talking about true Babbitt. You're talking about contact batting average. But no, ba- no, Babbitt takes it off. And, and me, to me personally, why the fuck? Why should I get? Why should a hitter get penalized? For hitting the ball over the fence, but he hits a straightaway center field oh, off the wall. Good, good. I actually thought I thought you thought I thought you were using the, the terms yeah. anonymously. No, no, it's it's no, it's not the same. But because I, I mean, I don't. They're hitting the ball and they're going out of the park. I want to know when that guy puts the ball in play. What is his batting average? And if it's over the fence, it's in play. I could care two shits about the other. You know, why am I going to take off the bet? You know, the best production of a guy is getting removed from the equation. So. So, like, you will look at um, Dela Cruz this year, uh, Ellie Dela Cruz. You're yeah. like, oh, this guy struck out what 35 percent of the at the, the you know second half of the year. Um, what was the strikeout rate in the minors? It was the 28 percent. You know, so those all these strikeout rates, you know, stuff like that. But that potential that player is contact bad in average. If it's well over 400, I even did it in his profile. You know, and it probably I messed up part of it, but if if he hits over four, if he had 500 at bats, and his his uh, con, um, his strikeout rate was 30 percent, he he if he hit 400, he would still hit like um, 280, you know, if his if his contact batting average was 400. But these guys that hit the ball hard and he has speed, their contact batting average is gonna be higher. So it's not a perfect science, but I mean, you can kind of see every, it's same as Babbitt, they have some some sort of a range, but it's a true range, you know, like this guy hit 350 when he put the ball in play, but he strikes out 28% of the time. If he strikes out 21% of the time, it's it's different, you know, um, like the guy, who's a, um, uh, Louise Arise from Miami last year, right? So he hit 354 for the year, you know, what was, what do you think of him this year? Like his batting average, what would you... Like when you're drafting him, what do you think of him as a player? Arias, I think um, he's just like a one of a kind type guy in in the player pool right now. I think he's I think he's more more of a lock to hit 300 or above than any other player in the pool. Like his yeah, strikeout so- rate is minuscule. He's just gonna he, he, his swing path is just different um, than others, and I think he has the ability to to, to change it just by. Just by watching him and watching his at bats and his games on video, like he he started off the season very much just like his approach was a lot more contact driven at first. And then he got injured, and I feel like he sold out a little bit for more power once he, like that four hundred potential went out the window uh, because he was flirting with the potential of four hundred season like near the beginning. I guess it was unlikely, but near the end of the season, he sold out for more power 
with, with Arias. I think if he wanted to, he could hit two three twenty five no problem. Yeah. So this so the thing with him is that so his so say two thousand nineteen you know limited bats his contact batting was three sixty seven two thousand twenty three fifty six two thousand twenty one three thirty two two thousand three three forty three so last year. It was 376. So you kind of think of him, his contact batting average would be more of like a slugger with a little bit of strikeout rates. But over the first half of the year, when he was hitting 402 over 274 bats, his contact batting is 425. Now that, when I see that, right, that's a great number, right? He's putting the ball in play, he's getting hits, but that's above what his his skill set has been in the past. So he's kind of the guy, maybe you could say 340 to 350 is his range. You know, so, you know, he's definitely because of the extra bats, you know, strikeout rate, you know, is 5.7%. So how many at bats, extra balls are in play, even by uh, natural average, he's going to hit, you know, higher. So, but over his final 310, um, final uh, 300 at bats, he hit 310 when he put the ball in play. But, you know, um, um, you know, so his contact batting edge over that stretch was um, 331. So he kind of reverted closer to what he was before a little below it so like like i when i see him I'm like well he's not gonna hit 350 but 320 is is fair but i don't consider him but it, what is can you look do you know what his babbit is you know like arias just like yeah i mean just i don't i don't know what it is but i mean I'm you know so like i said I'm like, for you right now so that would be a number like you know like i said i don't i don't even look at that uh, the babbit it's like to me it's always and i and i honestly think this information to be should u- be used for pitchers instead of babbit too um well, but unfortunately like fan doesn't separate that stuff out um i can actually strike out so i can try to figure uh, it out honestly okay, like i said at first i thought you were talking about babbit because i use that but this is this is similar it just it just um doesn't discount the home runs his babbit last year was 362 and then if you go back to um, previous years, 331, 323, 353, 355. So it was high, but not not significantly See, that higher. Match, that matches up closer because he doesn't have any home runs. You know what I mean? You know, um, but like I said, you know, you're, every player in the Babbitt, you know, uh, a 350 for him is going to be different for a 350 for somebody else. Um, so there's there's other factors, like I said, the strikeout strike. rate. But it's I think it's important to when a guy like a young player like O'Neill Cruz. And um, De, uh, Ellie Dela Cruz, you know, looking at that stuff, like, you know, where are they going to be? Uh, that guy struck out 175 times, you know, like, well, it's it's how many at bats did he have, and what was the strikeout rate, and then what is this, you know, what is he hitting? Like last year, Olson hit like insanely higher than he hit like 391 or something in his uh, contact batting average, which was really good, really good, and maybe his impro- approach improved last year where he could, uh, you know, kind of repeat that. But his, his contact batting average year before was 336. The year before that, 338, 308 before that. But in the Oakland year um, in 2019, I think he got hurt with that hammock bone. It was 374. So, but he did improve. So, like, you know, where does that range fall back this year where he's, you know, is he a 240 hitter, 250 hitter? Is the 283 repeatable? I mean, you're drafting that guy based on his power last year in the, in the thing. You know, he gets drafted in the mid-second round this year. So, you know, I'm just, you know, same thing. I'm looking for direction and a mental picture of it. And, you know, I'm not always going to be right, um, but I'm, you know, I'm making an educated thing is what what we're all trying to do, right? But I'm using a couple, you know, a couple different data points that I think are different than anybody else uses. This is very interesting. This, the, um, contact batting sort of reminds me of um, left on base percentage for pitchers because, like a certain profile of batter is going to have a higher 
contact batting average. They hit the ball harder, they're faster. Whereas pitchers, like you can say they got, I guess, quote unquote, lucky to have like a, a high left on base percentage, but player pitchers that are going to strike out more batters are just typically going to have, they're going to leave more runners on base because they're better at getting batters out. Yeah, they, uh, and then the thing on the left on base, I think a, a lot of that you can probably wash out when you, you know, it's easy to win because if the guy's got a four and a half RA and his whip's like, you know, 1.22, you know that the bullpen kind of caved behind him or he struggled with, a, you know, a lot of home runs or something like that or had some disaster innings. So, I mean, that it's kind of easy. Like I used to look at the um, le- uh, left on base percentage a lot because I think the league average, what, 72% or something like that, but around that range. But, uh, I don't kind of you kind of get to know it after time where you don't have to dig at that so much right you have a look at RBI rate no you don't care about it I don't I don't not that I don't care I just never looked at the RBI rate I only started to do that this year when I was looking at projections I'm looking at uh, what I did was I looked at um, bad ATC and uh, I'm trying to I don't really use projections as much as others, so I'm trying to see whether or not I should be using it more. And I looked at uh, all the different four of them. There's bad ETC, Steamer, and then Zola's stuff. And I uh, looked at the, at the per plate appearance rates of RBIs, runs, and stuff like that. See if any see if any system stood out. And what I really what I really found is all these projection systems are basically the same, like more or less. Like you got a few outliers here and there, but I think I don't think using one versus another is really going to save you at all in terms of competing in with the, the level of fantasy baseball that we do? Yeah, the, the projection systems aren't going to, they're not going to give you the the guy that's going to potentially break out, you know, like, or something like that. I mean, they're going to give you a neutral, fair evaluation of players of their skill set the last couple of years. It doesn't incorporate direction because I look, a lot of times when I write about a player, then I'll look and just see what they're, they're, the, the public is doing. And I did somebody yesterday or Pittsburgh, and I and I I can't remember who it was, but um, you know, like, well, that guy's, yeah, I think you know what it is. It, who's it? Who's it? Jake Suwinski. So, well, Jack Suwinski. Yeah. So when I look at him, like strikeout, his strikeout rate's thirty-two percent. Is that repeatable? And then I look at the projections that they have. I'm like, if that was in the sports book, I would bet the under in home runs because I think they got more competition for outfields in the outfield, and he would lose at bats. And I looked at him, and they gave him, you know. They gave him more respect for a bats than probably his profile deserves, and I, I think the 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 Rooker guy from the A's too is another guy that fits in that profile. But those are different. Those are different things, you know. Like a whole, I'm going off topic, but and you got these other guys in the background. Like, wait a minute, it's my turn. Wait a minute. So uh, no, I I love listening to to you. It's great did, stuff. Did we did we get a sidetrack with uh, the RBI rate that you wanted to discuss? Oh, oh I just think that um, it's important to me because I always use it and you know that I wrote it in the pro- profiles is that, you know, you know, if a guy gets uh, 80 RBIs, I want to know his RBI chances. And if that's true, um, you know, did he get five, you know, a 500 is an awesome number. If you had 500, you were like, you know, top five in you know, major league baseball. Um, so you, you know, you want to think like, is this guy a middle of the order hitter? You know, if it's, you know, the league average, I think, is around 15%. If, like, a leadoff type hitter, it's 12%. You know, like Cabrera and, the, like, the Freemans and the good players might be 20%. So you just try to get a mental picture, but then you want to know how many RBI chances in um, that they have. Like, um, you know, so, like, I think Pittsburgh and, like, did he get – was that really out of line? And if I'm deciding to, against two players, you know, they're both 2080 guys, you know, did the one guy have a lot more chances than the other? And you kind of, like, know that. Like, I've been playing so long – like I'm a ball. I, I came into fantasy baseball being a ballpark. Like that guy's a 2080 guy. That's a 10 10 30 guy. 
and that's how I played the game, and that's what my little, you know, I, I had a good memory of what players were, at least at the draft table. You know, I retained a lot of information, but, you know, everybody ha- everybody's better now. There's more information out there, and um, and I also think there's a bigger variance from season to season with injuries, and players don't, you know, before you draft Manny, R- R- Manny Ramirez, you had a great season, then he did it the next year. It might not be the same, but, you know, at least you get a certain amount of stats, and I think there's, you know, a lot more of the good players don't always repeat and they're not like locked like we all think they should never mind those top 15 pitchers half of them are going to get hurt so so yeah but right yeah so that's so, my uh that's my stick on those couple things that's really that's really fascinating you, you brought up some stats and some metrics that aren't typically discussed and as we shift gears to john here um i do want to um remind you something it's a reminder to win at fantasy baseball one must one identify and roster breakout players two identify and roster severely under undervalued players and three don't be a sheep who do you think who said that on twitter who do you think said that just in, it's relevant because we're talking about projections oh, and do, do you want me to to guess it's oh, i know who it, yeah it's gecko <laughs> yeah gecko gecko said that so yeah formerly cindy for, formerly what Cindy on the message with the NFPC, he'll deny it, but I'm convinced. This is like, we're going back in like 2008. It's before your time. You, yeah. How old are you now? I'm 40. Uh, but you could have been playing back then. Well, I could have been. I didn't, so I didn't play the NFPC. What? I what took you so down long? I was playing Yahoo for so long with my buddies. And I just, I don't know, I got into NFPC a couple of years ago. But Cindy, maybe it's uh, Cindy Havey. No, it's but this is it's way back. If you could read, if you could read the old message board, find find some of the crap that. Yeah, used I mean, there's other Cindy's. No, I'm just I don't know. Yeah, so he was just he was just fucking bullshitting on the message board as like a as an alias. In my opinion, yeah. But that's, okay, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't have any. It was so anyways, it was in a respectful way. Do you do you agree? Uh, do you agree with what he said? Because we're talking about projections, and they're just going to give you sort of they're not going to they're not going to find the breakouts. But he said to win at fantasy baseball, one must identify and roster breakout players and identify and roster severely undervalued players. Don't be a sheep. Bjorn, what do you think about that? Or Sean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, you got to think outside the box. I mean, you know, on some things and, and you know, find the opportunities that you think they're advantages, but there's just still, you know, even though I identify a player in the 15th round, I think they could be, you know, a player that I want. I mean, that doesn't mean you won't, you don't beat me to them and I don't get the player. I mean, in 2006, I don't, if I don't get Hanley Ramirez in the 23rd round, I'm not, you know, I don't have a great season. Um, but, you know, somebody else drafted him in another main event in the 13th round. So was I really the dipshit that waited that long or, or I got lucky, you know? So, you know, it's just, uh, but I mean, I liked him. I got him the NL only for $13, but, you know, he had that awesome season. Uh, but, you know, so, you know, but yeah. Sorry, Zach, I got distracted when you said you played on Yahoo. It brought me back to a movie I love called Gulliver's Travels. The Yahoo were a species of people that were very primitive and they were obsessed with shiny stones. Uh, they coexisted with talking horses. So that's our Gulliver's Travel Easter egg for those listening for that content. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks John, you go into detail with player analysis. I do so many leagues, I'm more of a roster construction player. Um, I think that's more important uh, Zach, to me. Zach, yeah. I know yeah. you're about to get into John Thanks L. Thanks for interrupting, I do, thank you. Yep. I, I do, Sorry. I have to interrupt. I just want to do a better job promoting guests. I appreciate their time and I love it. Um, and John said he was sick of it. And 
It's at John Legaza, J-O-H-N-L-A-G-H-E-Z-Z-A. Appreciate, Sean, that was very interesting. We're about to get into the John segment now. John, I'm going to quote, tweet uh, your offering that you have pinned. I'm going to tell people that John L. has a massive tool. Uh, Take a peek below. Uh, Back to you, Zach. (laughs) All right, John. So player analysis. What, what, What can you tell me about player analysis? Why do you find it so important? Why am I doing it wrong? Well, hold on. First, I just wanted to speak to the Babbitt thing. Eliminating home runs from Babbitt is probably pretty stupid. I don't know why we do that. It reminds me of Pete Alonso. I just happened to know because I was looking at this the other day. Big meat. Um, Because like Bloomfield had Bloomfield had tweeted. Now he's not wrong. Bloomfield tweeted. I think Alonso's Babbitt last year might have been the lowest in thirteen years, or twelve or thirteen years. You know, it was a 205, a 205 Babbitt. But more than a third of his hits were home runs. And if you actually include the home runs into his Babbitt, it's like 290, which is not something you'd think twice about again, because like you said, the the fly ball rates are just through the roof. So yeah, that that's that seems to be mischaracterized given the way that we use it, right? Like he used the word operative word there was like you kind of punish players right for Babbitt's when it doesn't like we want home runs right home runs are good so uh to player analysis again listen I'm not going to push up against it right it's not about pushing up against roster construction I think the way I view it is more and this is reflected in my ranks which again doing ranks is very difficult they're always fluid they change every 30 seconds I find that I do not just mix everything like it's not Catch a first baseman, pitcher, reliever, catch a first base. I don't, I don't, to me, that's two apples and oranges. I try and draw it up. I know it's like I reinvented tears, obviously, but the way I do it is unique. I haven't seen it done this way, but I think it, it coincides with the way that we think about drafts, right? Again, it's, it is, can be a little mishmash in the first round because, again, that's what you're looking for. But then it's, you know, get your ace, and there's 12 or 15 you know, pitchers that I really like in a, in a row. Where I'm getting, Zach, is one, I, I think it's useful to think of it that way because you don't want to just go off some raw list because it doesn't speak it doesn't speak to the draft, right? If you see in my ranks that I have get an ace here, you know, you, you know to prioritize one of these kind of comparable players. Again, of course, you can always get in trouble, but we're not sending people blind. The reason I was started with that is that only gets you so far, I think, if, you know, and if Gecko is right, which he probably is, if you're trying to identify the breakout player, once we get, right, if the if our draft is a sculpture uh, and we start with a giant glob of clay, your kind of roster construction theory gets us somewhere. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong. You have to lop off giant pieces to begin. But once I get you down to a tier – we got to get like the little ding, 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 like that little that little sculpting tool out, you know, the, the fine precision tools to find the breakout player. Like I think, I mean, I hope, and I had a little bit of success. Again, I won that MEQ, that and $2.50 catch on the bus here. But it, deploying this kind of, I don't want to say particular strategy. I know Sean mentioned at the open that, you know, he's going through every player. I'm kind of doing that too in my ranks. I can't write up every player. I was doing football stuff, young kids or whatever. But I am through the first 100 players. And I, I could say dollar to donuts, not just because I sell this stuff for 9 dollars 
it helps me see the best players in a different light. And as Sean was mentioning players just kind of, you know, picking them here and there, I have that, like, presupposition of not output stats, right? Because that's kind of the stuff that I preach and that's reflected in my writing and a lot of my work. That a lot of input stats, and again, Sean, as you were talking, I literally added all the stuff you were talking about to my sheets as you guys were going. You know, because that's the stuff that I like to look at. I don't really care for input stats. I often talk about the tapestry, right? And that's what we're looking to do. So to your point, Zach, with player analysis, like, yeah, it is kind of stat dense and analytically driven, but it isn't a single stat. I, I generally try and compartmentalize players into, you know, hitters would be discipline, elevation, contact quality. The idea being a really heavy stone on one of those you know, balancing plates won't tip the whole scale, right? Which is what we don't want to happen, which is what can tend to happen when we introduce new ideas. Um, um, stack cash stuff, duh. Stuff plus is one of the newer ones, right? We introduce these things that sometimes, you know, they have, it's all well-intentioned, but sometimes the application gets misused. So it's not like I so much push up against roster construction because I think it's super important. I also think with volume, it's the most important thing. But now let me ask you, because we were talking about CLQ to kind of tie all these things together. How are you going to reconcile having to play a single entry DC? Because you've had, I don't want to say a loose style, because you know me, man. I'm never trying to demean your stuff. You're very good and an overall winner, right? But I do know that you're very fluid right within those tiers if you see players as pretty similar then you don't mind kind of transferring them but i would say in single entry i'm a smaller volume player that that stuff really matters right so i mean i i do a lot of testing but again i don't want to rely on single stats you know like i said i kind of draw up i like approach stuff contact quality for hitters pitchers i kind of ignore you know contact quality i've been looking more into the diagnostic stuff maybe that we're going to get into that where you know i mentioned stuff plus already stuff plus kind of hit the market and man it's useful but right now i think that's a good example of how something that's being misused right so to, to answer your question first i want to clarify that i i do do player analysis to an extent yeah, you said uh, you do yeah i know bjorn missed that one too um i got you brother and um Thanks. Yeah, so I'm looking. At, I'm not looking at anything crazy that anyone else isn't looking at. Um, but uh, like going back to Gecko's comment, I want to identify those breakout players, and I think you need to do that in these type of leagues. Um, how do you do that? So you're looking at a lot of the things that like K minus walk, like second half splits, like velocity increases, opportunity increases, like just to name a couple of basic things. But like in that say rounds. 10 through 13 of starting pitchers i have like like i'm more on the player analysis size than roster construction when i'm choosing those i think i have like i might pick like i might have like five pitchers that i'm i'm targeting in that area i'm doing 100 drafts i'm 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 totally not diversifying when i come when it comes to grabbing certain pitchers that i want like for example um a guy like um uh, trying to trying to find an, like a guy like 
<laughs> You're trying to find the cough button, the mute button. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm trying to find a player that I haven't drafted, like in that range. So if I'm looking at the pitchers in that range, I'm trying to pull it up for it. For I can mention, well, I know one off the top of my head. Like and, and, and I have Joe around. Ryan. I have Joe Ryan in like a tier with a lot of what I view as kind of similarly projected pitchers, but he's kind of fallen to the bottom where he's a player in underdog or like best balls and stuff. I want to be exposed to Joe Ryan, but when it really comes down to like the nitty gritty, I'm not going to have him at all. Like in right. my, I'd be really surprised if he's on any of my champion leagues teams. That's funny. Something that we didn't, we didn't really get to that. I was, I was interested in your guys takes when you do that. I know I totally agree. First of all, I agree with you on Joe Ryan. I think he's somebody that probably could be on some of my teams that I've drafted a lot of, but like in, when it comes down to it, I don't think, um, he will be on many, if any, of my teams. Yeah, my, my guy's actually fallen right now. I mean, not whatever. If we'll give, I haven't given away a single name if anyone's listening this far in. So, like, I'm basically obsessed with Yuri Perez. I mean, it's just, it's sexual. Like, it's just ridiculous. Everything in the, everything on the spreadsheet is just crazy. This is amazing. I'm being like, <laughs> maybe being like the best pitcher in the league. Got you know? life again. And, uh, <laughs> and I think they came out and said something about, like, it came out um watching right right like watching innings or uh manage right it was something you know you get these things we just had it yesterday with judge with like his toe is going to need constant management I took yeah, managing like, manage, manage, manage stuff like that's for wimps so yuri perez had a, i had to check because i didn't know off the top of my head let's call it 130 innings last year you build in a little bit of Upgrade and like I don't know if a guy if a guy these days can get to 160 or 165, like I think that's good. Like maybe Jordan, that's he's really tall too. He's a very tall man. Yuri, yeah, yeah six eight two twenty. He is a big guy. Like that I mean, not that that doesn't mean he can't get. And again, I didn't put two hundred innings on him, but if people hear that and automatically like I'm not sure what they I'm not sure what they I'm not, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not sure what they think. So. I you know I have him pushed up, but then like you were saying, if I know other guys like him, Yuri's kind of fallen, and he's a guy that I found I can get as the second guy in that because I really wanted to tie in something you mentioned before. I don't want to interrupt again. When you were talking about trying to maximize the players that you like, like try to reconcile players that you see value in, like myself and Yuri Perez, but not having to jump the shark because he's on a decline like you know you want to make sure you secure him but not at the expense of one of those other players right like that's a that's a really big thing i thought the way you vocalized that was perfect I, it's very simple but i had just never thought of it that way yeah so for me I like think, in that in that like in that like round 10 through 12 range a lot of pitchers i'll be i'll be targeting probably the same five or six pitchers every time and i'll just play like in a dc i'm doing 30 of them i'll play adp i'll just take the the one, like one of the five that I'm targeting, I'll take the earliest in ADP because he has a least chance of coming back to me. And um, I'll, I'll get, I'm just, I'm out, it's about maximizing like my 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 value versus what the cost of resources are and what I spend. But now in something like the Champions League, right? If you come up with a, a the same exact decision two times, mm -hmm. are you going to take a different fork in the road because of the style of the contest like that's something i've been really dealing with myself again i haven't entered it i wanted to make sure i really put all the thought into it i feel like i'm behind the eight ball as far as skill level goes so i want to make sure that i really think everything through for and, me right I, is it okay i guess is it okay to have uh, the same player on all, yes. right should i avoid yuri on all three teams no. i almost feel like no man no, right? the game thing, pussy, we don't want John. to water down drinks John, John, I, 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 it's, it's champions league champions league is three teams 250 dollars I'm in hundreds of leagues, 
and some of the leagues are like twenty five hundred dollars, not two hundred fifty dollars. The two hundred, the, the Champions League is two hundred fifty dollars. If you're talking about diversifying within the Championship, Champions League, I, I get that you're made events. He's money. talking about the Champions League add-on fee. It's just two hundred fifty dollars to be entered into that prize. Yeah. Game. So your your decision, um, diversifying within those three Championship leagues, is really only a two hundred and fifty dollar decision, right? You're you're muted. You're muted. No, 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 no. What do you so, mean? No? The hardest disagree. You're selling the entire. You're selling the entire thing short because that doesn't calculate no. for the the. I'm not though. What the entrance? No, 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 no. Plus, you're saying the, 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 the champions. The Champions League component of it is two hundred fifty dollars. That doesn't discount that the, the the main event fee, the DC fee, those are all still. You're talking about diversification, right? And the John? potential of the outcome. Yeah, we're talking about. I'm talking about. The importance of diversifying okay. in something that's it's very unique because it's okay. it's three single bullets. That's that's what I'm talking about. Like in theory, shouldn't you have three very I know DCs are a little bit different, but should we have a lot of similar players on all three teams? Yeah, and like the early players, like yeah, no, I okay. I see your point where I see where you're going with that. And like, yeah, like you could like I'd probably not want to have the same closers because like what what their their skill sets is pretty homo homogeneous like the closers and the catchers like you're not going to really find like that breakout player there. But in terms of actually like if you love Yuri Perez, you're muted again, John. Yeah, I well, I was curious because I is not Bjorn a homogeneous? He's he's very he's one of a kind for sure. That's yeah, thank you. a That's one of one homogeneous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, good, nice pun. But um, yeah, no, for me, like I said, it's a 200, like the, the actual component, the, the um, I'm glad you're both muted right now. I'm trying to talk here, but um, the actual, uh, the Champions, Champions League component is 250 bucks. Like for me, like I'm in a hundred leagues with weight, like with the, that's a fraction of the, of the cost. Like, I don't care. Like I'm going to, like, if I love Yuri Perez, I'm, I'm going to take him in every league that if, if, he, if he's in there in the sixth round or whatever. Right. So I don't, I don't care. Like my, my diversification, um, like say I love Yuri Perez, I'm going to get him in all the all the leagues I want because I'm going to diversify year over year. Like maybe this year is going to be a bad year for me. I'm not going to lose my mortgage over fantasy baseball. At least I'm lucky enough to be able to enter these leagues and not and not like affect my personal life. So yeah, I could have a terrible year this year because I'm 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 big on Yuri Perez. Whatever. Right? I actually really man. appreciate that, man. You believe it or not, I really do appreciate that. The reason is because. Again, me coming from home leagues, betting and stuff, just into this kind of sphere. And having a trading background also where diversification is kind of important. I've, I over-diversify. And in fact, I found I would draft early, kind of have a set of guys that I really liked. And then when it came time for the big money drafts that I really want to hammer down my guys, I wasn't getting them almost to avoid having too much of them. And it's very flawed. I have found I shortened the league, so it makes sense that my roster ship has consolidated. But I feel better about it. I feel better. Again, I think I really love that point, dude. That was super sharp with closers where the output is very similar. That makes sense where you don't want a single closer that affects really one category generally to sink all of three of those teams. But right, especially a guy that might be at a pick 100, yo, go get him. If that's what you think might tip scale in your favor, you know, you got to go get it. Yeah, just to hammer on that point, like if I'm looking at the pitchers in that other range, like, like I think like, you mentioned Joe Ryan. Like Joe Ryan could easily be like in that Bryce Miller, Hunter Brown range. Like, why is he higher? But anyways, it's, that's a side point. Um, but like, if you're taking like just take Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, like one of those guys could be massively 
different than the other ones. One's one, like their ERAs could be two runs apart. Whereas like you're looking at closers, like if, as long as you don't have a disaster, like what, like really is one going to have like double the saves as another? It's like really a, your, your, your potential to find that breakout um, output is really more limited in those closers and like in that catcher tier, like from Sal Perez to Rally to Alvarez to whatever those guys like that, like, you can make a little bit more of an argument there because maybe you do think one of those catchers is just amazing, but um, I think it's just more of a there's, there's less separating them like in terms of potential. So in, in in that respect, like I don't mind just diversifying because I'll admit like taking the like Pop Bohoppy and Garver and Alvarez, like am I really good enough to know like am I skilled at fantasy baseball to know like this one's going to be amazing. The other two are going to be fall behind. Like, you know, it's I, funny you mentioned that. Interest, yes. The yeah, you know what? I was going to say, Sean, Sean was about to say that Alvarez and Ohapi were both plus two on the hit, <laughs> on the hit rate scale. Am I not correct, Sean? And Garver is going to get, like, you know, way less at-bats, and he needs to do what he did last year. Yeah, this is, I mean, that, that, that shouldn't be in the same equation. I mean, Garver, Garver's going to get more at-bats this year than last year. No? How? How? He's going to be their full-time DH. What? And he was wasn't he hurt last year for a portion of the year? Wait, are you actually, are you a fan of roster resource? No, I'm a friend of I'm a fan of cleanup.com. I'm not a fan of roster resource. Justin Martinez is nothing. King Curland with his MLB playing time.com is the gold standard. I know if I know it's just in his infancy, but um, well, no, I, I'm not I, a fan of roster resource. Well, I have my Curlin's thing on my I put it on site. So if somebody wants to go to the link to it, you know, to his stuff. But anyways, but Russell Resource is a good structure place. And I've used them for way like years and years and years of structure. But the batting order and all that stuff, I could care less how they put it. I'm I'm making my own evaluation. They Do you don't know the roster resource has Nassim Nunez as starting in the minors when he's a rule five pick? Yeah, no, like I don't know. That's nitpicking, but they can't keep getting away I'm, with this. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just pumping up my friend Curlin. It's all right. Well, well to, to all those points for anyone still listening, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm with. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm with, I'm with Sean on. It's funny because I feel the same way about projections. Almost in that, I'm with Sean in that. Like I do not agree with them necessarily on their face, but I have found there's such a driving factor in the market. That you have to look at them like I used to almost ignore it because I didn't want it to persuade me. Where now I find I need to look at it because I want to know what everyone like. Right now, there is a percentage of the population that thinks whatever Matthew Batten is going to start for the Padres because he's in the roster resource starting lot. Like that's just what is what does MLBPlayingTime.com have? Oh, I don't know. I try and get as little curl and exposure as I can. <laughs> no, no, back no, to back, back. Let's go back he, to Garber he, though. He, he had he had nineteen home runs in. 296 at bats. You think he's going to get more or less than that amount of at bats next year? I think he's probably more. Right? Sure. He had 296 oh, at bats last year. You call? I think I feel like you guys are like calling me crazy for this, but who's he has trouble who's staying healthy? No, he no, he's going over providing he stays healthy, man. Yeah, so they like gave, what they gave him 12 million bucks. Okay, he's, he's, who's, I mean, who's hitting home, who's hitting more home runs, Garver or Hoppy? Oh, yeah, Garver has a shitty park. I know. Went to the probably yeah. one of the worst oh, parks. I would say Ohapi. You, you might be right. Um, it's yeah, no, but I like Ohapi too. Um, Ohapi is good. Who, who's Garver's got the sexy pull rate I love so much, you know. 
All right, what about like Garber's going after uh, Jonah Heim? Who's going to have more home runs and RBIs? Um, well, Ohio is going to get more. Jonah Heim's going to get more playing time, but uh, um, so? John, okay, did you hear how Jonah jo, how yeah. Jonah Heim uh, pleasures his wife? How? It's the Heim lick maneuver. <laughs> Hello. Um, so, he, so he, I, I think I, mean, I think Garver's going to get more bats than Jonah Heim this year. Well, well, the Cal Rally is going to get a ton of at bats. I just don't think he's. Well, I guess the reason that I didn't like, you know, whatever is the other that Dominic Calzone guy. I thought he deserved to be there um, in that lineup, and they get. Nah, I don't. I don't. I just. I only see like 300 bats, but I mean, I'm not drafting them, so I'm a boy. The other, the one of the three is a home run. The other one's a a B plus, and and the other one's a hole. So, in my opinion, you know. Under underperforming where he gets drafted, like he gets drafted too high. I think Garver gets drafted too high. You know, you're you're think you're translating his home runs, on uh, stuff like that, a lot higher. But what's his average hit rate? I mean, and all that other stuff. I mean, what's the data on him? <laughs> I don't have that. You would have that. Can you tell me? Yeah, let me go to. Let me just get bring down Seattle's profile here. One second. Uh, I'll get to it. Well, Sean is looking that up just to. Uh, it's one eight five. Barber uh, is 185. So it's a Sean, Sean had mentioned that there are some drafters out there that still use magazines, and I love that. And you're the uh, audience I'm speaking to right now. Uh, I'm actually coming out with a new magazine. We debut in March. Uh, it was inspired by Ariel Cohen last episode, talking about male modeling. Um, I DM'd him about it. He agreed to be my first cover model, and it's called Pickle Man. Uh, check it out this March as you grab your fantasy baseball uh, magazines. Um, so thank you. So, so, all right. There's, here's the thing of Garber. All right. That stands out there. You know, <laughs> there's a Garber, pickle joke in there somewhere. All right. So Garver, what is the most of bats he's ever had in his career? Tell me that. Oh, uh, I think Zach, I think Zach just dropped off. All right. Uh, so he I muted got himself. To, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like three eleven. I, I don't, it, I, it's I don't not, it's not he, a lot. So when he said he's, he's never had higher three, than 296, my, right, I would say under. He's never had 360 plate appearances. Never. He's, he, he's, a, he's His max is 311. He's been in the league a lot. He gets injured. He gets banged yeah. up. They got a DH. You know, he's not – Um, he could get some bat, mate, bats at maybe at first base. They have a catcher that's going to be in the lineup a ton, you know. Um, he's a much better hitter, Um, um, you know, all-around hitter anyway. So – but to me, I have him in the reserve round. Like I said, I put the – um. The Dominic uh, Canzoni guy, like I liked him a little bit better. Put him in the lineup. Um, they also have the the third baseman they got for that used to play for Milwaukee, uh, Urias or whatever. Always get confused on those. And they got so I just think there's an overlap, and they potentially could sign somebody else. I just think that Garver's not a player that's going to get at ADP 195. Yeah, I get the night. I get you see the 19 home runs and stuff like that, but that's but as far as like you said, the average hit rate was. 1.85 it was 1.94 2.01s yeah it matches that stuff all matches up really good if he could get more at bats it's just i don't know if he can get the at bats you know so yeah he's yeah he's good on a per plate appearance basis for sure i'm with you as far as like fan like season long fantasy garver does not really have projectable volume you can get 
out of a C2. And even like Camposano's going right next to him. You mentioned Jonah Heim. Those guys, those are the catchers going next to him that I think you could project a little more safely for play more plate appearances. I might even like Jeffers on a on a per PA basis just as much. Really, exactly. I don't know if you heard that when I said that. You know, what was his most at bats that Garver's ever had? You know, did you hear that when I said? No, that? I. You know what? I had to like I, I got a call coming in, so I had to take that briefly and just tell them like to call them back. But yeah, um, so. Uh, but it's I would say like three fifty. Three. It's three eleven. So like these guys never had over three hundred bats. He's been in the league for whatever. So like how you know is he going to get four hundred? Is he going to get four fifty? I mean that's a lot to ask. I mean and you know like even if he's a DH. You know, this they, somebody else could get in the way too there. So I don't know. Um, so that's the that's the that's the trick there. You know, I mean, maybe I he think could hit 15. Seattle could uh, sign Matt Chapman, and that'll lead into some at bats. I saw Matt Chapman at the Seattle uh, airport, and then we ran into each other at the Space Needle. I think he could sign for uh, about three years there. What about stuff plus? Do you want to get into that? We're yeah, I think little, running a little bit uh, long here, so let's okay, get into I'm gonna, stuff I can plus. be quick. Okay. I, I can be quick, but I'm actually really glad that you platform me with this because this is something I put a ton of work into. This is something that see, it's funny. I had kind of been working on this apart from Eno. Um, so when he came out with it, I was I was really excited, and mm-hmm. so again, man, I just don't want I don't want to sound too arrogant about any, any of this stuff. But I, I do think I was ahead of it. I don't mean the actual work. I mean in, in understanding and digesting it, using it for fantasy and betting in a way that I, I don't think a lot of people are doing. And I mentioned this to you, and it's pretty simple. And it's not to ignore all the rest of it, but just check it out. Man. Stuff plus as a whole, I don't think has much, if any, of a use for fantasy baseball. I really don't. Agree. Because the – and this is – I'm going to work into, like, how I use this stuff. And, again, it's pretty simple. I think for fastball usage, it is. God, it's such a good shorthand, man. I, I'm just telling you that I, objectively, I have back-tested this thing. I have looked for threads. I've even gotten to Eno's direct messages because, again, I was w- looking at pitch shape, right? That's what a lot of it has to do with. Uh, again, if people don't understand what we're talking about is now that we have StatCast or TrackMan or Hawkeye, whatever the hell this thing is nowadays, we have a better understanding of diagnostics of the ball in flight, right? So this is what team R&D departments are doing. This is what driveline is doing, biomechanical improvements to improve these diagnostics, right? Like a very measurable objective kind of output. Now, anytime you use something like a stuff plus, you're going to have problems. So this is not to knock Eno or the work. It's effing amazing, okay? But what happens is when you try and oversimplify too much, it can, again, get you into trouble with misapplication. Like a, And I think that's what happens. So I think Stuff Plus is really – it's not something I use for fantasy. Let me put it that way. You know, because, again, I'm not trying to knock down the work. It's it's brilliant. You know, I do think for fastball on its own, foreseen stuff, you might as well – it's almost like I still use all the shape stuff because I like to see it. You don't need to bother with it. You know, it is – the best amalgamation it's the best shorthand of v low plus v move plus h move plus extension plus spin that you can get it it truly is bar none and all the outliers that i think i found so far every one of them has failed meaning 
all the fastballs that I thought might be good, where Stuff Plus said no. Again, they haven't, but now remember, part of that is also well, there's always going to be a function of command and control, right? No matter how much your stuff moves, particularly with a four-seamer, if you're going to miss center-center, you're going to be off-kilter. So I think people need to get away from Stuff Plus in general, need to just focus on the fastball Stuff Plus, really because of the slider. First of all, you know, admits a changeup, it's not, it's not very good at, at it. Okay, so then where I'm going to build off my own inference is sliders are the opposite. Slider stuff plus is through the roof because of all the output statistics, because of the combination of break, right, and plane, shape, and speed difference. So if it's not good at reading changeup, and it's almost like too sensitive to stuff plus, and I under, uh, to slider plus, but I understand it's relative to the pool. Again, we want to separate starters and relievers. That's another thing that is not being done because of effort, load, individual pitch load, and stuff that matters uh, like a thousand percent. I'm just kind of discarding the off-speed stuff plus and really focusing on fastball stuff plus. So I didn't want this to be John's takedown of stuff plus and why it doesn't work fantasy. That's not the case. I'll do I that. do think the the most generalized version is not great. I do think when you combine the three of them, like I use the three pillars. So again, I want to push how important they are. If you're combining stuff plus, location plus, and the pitch plus all together, and you're finding pitchers that are above 100, remember people, by the way, this is not WRC plus, where every point is a percentage above average. That's not the case. Every 10 ticks, 100 stuff to 110 stuff plus, is a standard deviation. So it's a big, it's a much bigger deal than 101 to 100. I've heard people refer to that on the WRC plus type scale, that plus scale with the average. That's not how it's calculated. Eno has been very clear about that. It's not my work. That's all his. So again, I think it has it has a seriously important place for fantasy. I just think people are doing it wrong. John, and it's simple enough as let's put this to let's put this let's put this to bed. Fat your fat your success of your fastball is dependent on the uh, on the the quality of your breaking pitches and change-ups, right? Well, yeah, right. That's the other part of it. I, yes, yes, I or no. yes, yes or no. Yes or no. Yes or no. It's not that simple. You need to no, shape I, I, haven't even, I haven't even said what I'm going to say. How do you know it's not that simple? What, do you, what, what am you I going to say? No, I'm not. I haven't, even, I, haven't, I haven't even completed my thought yet. All right, go ahead. So the success of your fastballs is dependent on your other pitches, right? Your secondary. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So it, it, and, and you said that um, Stuff Plus is bad at analyzing the secondaries yeah i i just yeah i don't think it's fine-tuned for fantasy. so then who gives a shit about the stuff plus the fastball because it matters the fact see that's what i mean that's why you knew you were getting wrong maybe because i knew because i know you well you knew, you knew like, where i was going you knew where i was going with that right but well like, it was to me well i knew like who cares if stuff plus is on the fastball when you're not incorporating the other pitches which really are dependent on it and stuff plus is even good at predicting that so it's like you're still throwing a fucking ball right you're still sitting still no, the same thing. Hold, on, hold on hold on stop 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 a lot of this is built off other givens like i didn't start from 101a you know the fact of the matter is and this is why it matters i guess i should have included in my rant and rave is the fastball is the foundational pitch okay and this is not just me this is usage factor it's i mean it's thrown quite literally twice as much, if not more than anything else, not just on a macro scale, but on a micro scale, right? Yep. So it's, if it's featured and you're going to be using it, and we're talking a minimum, like, God, and I look at a lot of this stuff, 
The average is probably in the high 30s. You'd probably be hard-pressed to find a single pitcher that's under 30. Maybe, ah, there's still 28s out there. But again, it's around the third, right, when we start smoothing this stuff out, in particular when you get to, like, righty-lefty splits. So it's all built off the quality of your fastball because that dictates whether or not they're even offering at the breaking stuff, right? So, again, off-speed stuff, it's easy. For, and, again, I'm kind of writing it off, like, right? I'm saying I'm not really going to even look at this stuff plus because it, it, it's more, to me, about changing eye levels, changing speeds, sequencing which is again is something we've had trouble quantifying as fantasy analysts but we do know it's out there that's in that kind of gray matter uh, but you can't ignore fastballs man i'm telling you the good fastballs matter when you could throw strikes with a deceptive fastball and then pair it with mirroring effects and tunneling right the idea of tunneling two different pitches coming out at the same exact place if the fastball is good and you have to pay attention to it that's where hitters get caught with their eye level changing up and down and that's where a fastball with a very good shape comes into play because fastballs that have the 11 or 10s of vertical movements are disparate from the rest of the field but not only that that relative lack of sync creates a greater distance between the bat handle and the actual ball in play which is why it's harder to get to right higher fastballs are harder to get to because they're it's harder to reach them but if you also are combining it with a fastball that has an expected sink let's say the average is probably 14 and a half 15 and a half this is for starting pitchers only when you get to that level of 10 where the thing that we call a flat fastball a rising fastball no fastballs rise people it's just it's relative difference opposed to the field there's no such thing as a ball that defies gravity it looks like it sometimes on the video angle it really is remarkable but it's not the case balls do not rise they just sink less than the rest so when you're able to combine it see how complicated it is and that's why it's like well Eno took a lot of this fastball stuff and put it in one really good placement i'm telling you i i I, and this, again, it's not to knock on him. He's a colleague of mine at The Athletic. I, if anything, I'm trying to get a freaking invitation to this stupid podcast, you know? But, like, trying to disprove it, I validated it. I feel very strongly, not only about the quality of the stuff plus fastball metric, but about its use for fantasy. I use it for betting with a lot of success, mind you. You know, so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Remember, we're kind of in agreement. If you're like, yo, I don't think stuff plus matters for fantasy. I'm like, dude, I'm with you. But I'm just saying, I think, I think if we take out the optometrist thing and click in, oh, is it better or worse? Is it better or worse? One of those combinations where it's just focusing on the fastball, it really matters. Again, foundational pitch, man. So in 18 million words or less, that's why that's what I think about stuff. Like <laughs> so, John, uh, legitimate question, um, as opposed to my other questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd love that you have oh, to preface it. <laughs> um, you, you talked about tunneling. You talked about the, like, the movement and all the things like that. Have you been able to predict a pitcher that has not been successful in practice that had those good elements of the stuff plus for the fastball and been able to find a breakout player like that? Because I, and let me just say like a lot of these players with the good stuff plus are like your Spencer Striders, players we know are good, like Garrett Cole, um, we, like we know, like we, like when does stuff plus become not a measurement, but a precursor? Like, how can we apply it to fantasy? Well, one, uh, it's 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 easily fastball stuff is my is the best tiebreaker I think there is. 
right? If you get down to similar projectable workloads with decent team contextual structures and you're down to the nitty gritty, to me, that's a fantastic differentiator. So again, right, you even though it's just a little argumentative, we are so, it's very simpatico, right? I'm just saying, I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's end all be all. And now that you mentioned I brought up, okay, here's one, here we go, here we go. So I now, because I, Separate this stuff. Also, these sheets are available on my $9.99 one time. You know, I format it. <laughs> and that's right. All, all kidding aside, you know, to have all this stuff in one place, man, easy to look up. I did a lot of work for 10 bucks, you know. And I isolate because I, it's my work. There's a fastball section for pictures. I have not just stuff plus, I have all the diagnostics. Now, for looking at pictures that had at least five starts last year, Jacob DeGrom's probably pretty easy. Right, he's a pretty easy guess for the best stuff plus on a four seamer in the league. Could you fancy a guess on the second guy? I'll give you a hint. He's on the worst team in the league. I'll give you another hint. He's going like after Mason, Mason ADP five hundred. What's that? Uh, after ADP no, 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 no. He's he's in the actual rotation because I'm not sure we're sure about Miller. Although Miller's diagnostic, Zach, of why I had such a hard on for him. What is it, Waldachuk? No, the answer is Joe Boyle. Okay. okay, so Joe Boyle has just it's 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 sick like it's all really really good the velo is up near 98 the vertical movement again remember we want down is down of that 11 i said 10 11 is where you get to elite he still has at least six inches of horizontal run also he's also got six foot seven of extension and a good vaa so like a lot of the stuff is in place his release point's a little bit high but again you can't you don't want release point matters it's more about matching a release point than ideal release point right if you have the ideal release point in your fastball but it's a foot lower than the other good pitches it's still going to be a giveaway so here's a good one i don't know if it's going to pan out but Joe Boyle would be somebody who, just going by fastball, you know, he's a guy. Um, another one just got injured, unfortunately. Keaton Wynn just popped up, is injured, and he's another guy. Yeah. In the John, if, he's, got, he's got elbow shortness. If Joe Boyle is six foot seven, wouldn't you expect him to have at least six inches? Oh, minimum. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, okay. no, we're going to get. So, John, another. Uh, like just, right, I just, I claimed that all the already stuff. Just, huh? yeah, just ignore him. But, um, <laughs> but, um, just, just, just looking at the last. Hold on, hold on. I just successfully managed to focus Zach on baseball rather than sexual innuendo, and I, I hope somebody out there realizes. I'm all how about baseball. Is. I'm all, I'm all about baseball, John. I'm not, I'm not into, I'm not into the like flirting with you guys or anything. Like that. Just okay, like, go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to flirt with Bjorn. Um, so yeah, <laughs> well, I'm looking at it logically. Stuff plus, like first of all, like my my my, I was just more playing devil's advocate with the two points I made already. But like, it, stuff plus is an attribute um, that, that changes, so you can throw harder the next year. Um, it's not an output based on results like xFIP. So like, I think there was an argument. There've been arguments on social media about like, yeah, uh, stuff plus is more correlated to WHIP than xFIP is, and I don't think that's true. So I think it's an attribute. So it's sort of like a characteristic because it's combining like movement and velocity. And if you're using that to predict what's going to happen, those attributes can change. So how can you use? Um, it's not really you're, 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 it's not really an independent variable in my opinion. It's not something you can use for fantasy. It's more of a an out like an attribute, not an output like that's. A I mean, statistic. it's very consistent though. Not no, and it's like, not no, it's not. Yes, like they you, are. Yes, they and yes. Okay, they yeah, like it was Reed Detmer's stuff plus um, like from last spring, the same as it was from the year before. No, not even close. Well, guys, I mean, guys do. 
like take steps and the I, don't velo, know what the, I don't know what the mixture is but i know the velocity is a huge component of the this right velo, velo velo bumps are going to happen and when they do there's going to be big time reactions to it velo is not as much of stuff plus as i thought it was like and i give you a perfect example again i have all this stuff so easily sortable because i'm always like thinking through it let's see so um and he's more of a reliever um well jesus lazaro is not a bad example jesus lazaro is a 97 mile an hour fastball but he only has 103 stuff plus like that is not that is not like the others he sticks out severino is the same even reagan's those guys are down in the mid ones Whereas most of the other pitchers right in that line of 97, Strider, Otani, McClanahan, Dustin May, Grayson Rodriguez, those guys all have a minimum 115. And remember, 10 ticks is a standard deviation. I already said that. So we're talking about tremendous disparity here. Again, that's right there in the numbers. But I was saying that, no, I do. Shape is pretty consistent. We could pick up on changes. You pick up on velocity and stuff like that. Again, nothing's going to be perfect. But I consider it an input stat. Last point on it, people, because I know I get this question a lot. Actually, is there's a lot of confusion as like we've seen a lot of aggression with major league teams when it comes to of uh, import players, right? Foreign players. It's because Be of these statistics there. now. It's been, no, I think I, I think we did okay with that one. I think we did yeah. okay with that one. Okay. No, no, yeah, I think I did okay with that one. <laughs> I said to do that anyway. Anyway, this is how we're going to leave. Importer export, but because. There used to be more of a confusion with how things would translate without these kind of, you know, it's a it's an objective like a like a GPS objective physical measure, right? So this is why teams feel so confident. Just to give you an idea, if we're trying to validate the metrics, teams are investing hundreds of millions of dollars into these things. But that's why teams are being more proactive with foreign players because they believe in repeatability because of the objective metrics here. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I just want to be cognizant of time. We've already gone over, I think, an hour and a half. Um, what else? Um, Sean, if you have to go, you have to go. But um, we're still. I, I think we wanted to just touch on one more thing. You were, you wanted, John, you wanted to talk about the reserve round of Fab Leagues. So, like, rounds 24 through 30, I think, right? Yeah, for me, I mean, again, we're not reinventing the wheel. But it's really all upside. That The only thing that ki- it kills – well, I like when it's in my league and there are people I'm competing against. But it kills me to see, let's say, someone I'm trying to help, taking vanilla, no vanilla in the reserve rounds. Like, it, you actually alluded to something very similar to this. We were talking about OCs earlier. Being in a fab league should open your mind, you know, to, like, new and exciting adventures. And – that so me because I'm super conservative, dude. I am such a conservative drafter. I think it might be part of why I lose. Twenty three and after, I am shooting the absolute moon. Give me all the nobodies, all the guys you never heard of, all the guys that could be, you know, that really tip the risk reward ratio because you could easily churn them. I just had to get that one out there because, right? You see guys taking very vanilla like, or players that you're like. I don't back up closures. Like, I don't think you should be banking on an injury between your draft day and opening day. If it's like a committee, that's a different story. Oh, but man. you see a lot of that. You see backup kind of closures, like hold guys. And I, to me, those are busted picks. You know, the third I don't catcher. Know, man. Like, I've done a lot of so auctions. You draft 23 rounds and there's seven reserves. Like, those, those um, closers or backup closers are very important in those drafts um, because in those drafts, all the closers go. And, and what you see spill over to the reserve rounds are some decent starting pitchers, usually. Um, uh, some some starters, like your 
don't know. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say. On, those are, I, I don't want to say. Pool, anyone, like, had the perfect term. Those are where you get your team. Like, like Alec Manoa. Yeah, like Alec Manoa. Well, yeah, Manoa, your team Jack, Jack Jack Flaherty. I'm trying to. Pick, yep. I'm trying to pick guys I don't like, so I don't name players that I actually want in the reserve round. But, um, <laughs> Isn't aren't you supposed to give out content that players you like? Come on. Yeah, I know. He's, I don't, he's, I don't it's absurd. That. It's absurd. Do it really is so crazy. It's a teach a man and, to and, fish. It's not. We're not. We're not just. Uh, we're not. We're, 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 what's what's it? Bjorn, what do we say? We we teach a man to fish. We don't shove a, pit, a, a fish down your throat. Is that what you say? Exactly. That you don't. We don't. We don't, deep throat, we don't make you deep throat a fish. That, <laughs> no. We, deep, we, no. <laughs> No, so, like but, but I'm saying, like in, the, in those in those early rounds, like uh, in, the, in the auction, Matt Brash is gone, um, David Robertson, all of the the quasi. But why would you want all the, all the, the even the shared even the shared rolled guys are taken in the actual auction? So if let's say you why? Get, let's say you have one legitimate closer. Let's say you have Camilo Duvall, and then you have maybe like a David Robertson in the auction. You're gonna need to you're you're gonna need to get some take some shots in that in the, the reserve rounds. And there's a couple guys that don't have the role that are, that are backups right now. You're waiting for a trade, you're waiting for an injury. Those guys become extremely valuable when you have like six weeks of time between the draft and the season. And those guys those are the guys that are gonna go for like two hundred dollars a fat. I wanna I don't want to take like I think your definition of vanilla is different than my definition of somebody that's going to potentially become very expensive and fat. Well, I mean, a backup, listen, I, I you know, kind of had um, mentioned committees. That's a different story. If you think you're going to get saves day one, I'm talking about, I mean, even a guy like Brash, unless you're planning on starting him, is it really going to close? I guess maybe if you think uh, Munoz has some question marks, maybe that's a little bit different. But I don't know, uh, somebody behind Hater or somebody behind, somebody in the Reds behind Diaz. Like, I'm just not looking to back up any of those guys because I don't think there's a pathway to week one. Like, there's, That's kind of what we're looking for is the churn. I'm looking to hit on it right away or churn because there's going to be so much new data. Remember, the first week is going to happen, and there are going to be people who are locked into roster spots. And I like the – oh, man, I got – I got like three or four spots to play with. That's what I want to. That's what I want to do. So, what what type of players are you are you looking for? Like, what do you think is going to cost more in fab? Um, a Scott Barlow started pitching, it. dude. You already gave you let the cat yeah. out of the bag. The the answer are my team streamers. I like to secure hitters. I do not like to play lineup games. I prefer to have ever all of my hitters be quote unquote every week players, and then load up the bench with viable starters that I like Spora calls them team streamers. I love that. Pollock refers to that sometimes too. I love that idea of, and that was a key to my success last year. Other than, I think that team had Spencer Strider. Other than Strider, I'd be hard pressed. I'd be surprised if I started anybody more than, let's say 22 times, more than 20 times, let's say, or 17 times, because I was choosing from 11 or 12 guys, because that's how I think you win especially NFPC with the very deep pools. You know, you laugh, guys, you want to let go, but like, yo, man, you're going to be happy if you have Silseth uh, or even J.P. Sears, this guy Boyle that I mentioned before. You'd be really glad you have these guys. Even Severino was going down there. Guys that could get you an impactful five and a third, maybe give up one or two, but come home with five or six Ks and a shot at a win makes a big difference in fantasy, man. Okay. since John, since you're so close-minded on this, I'm going to ask John the question. So Sean, um, I'm going to give you four players. And you're, you're you're in a fab league. You're you're in a main event. You're in an auction in Las Vegas. Um, I want you to um, answer two answer two ways. Which ones? How would you rank them in terms of how you would target them? And two, 
how would you rank them in terms of what they'll cost in fab if you ignore them and their best outcome comes in? So the first player I'll give you is Tim Anderson, currently unsigned, veteran, boring, but he could get signed by a team. Number two, Jake Cronenworth, also boring, but he has the free look and he can hit two home runs in uh, the, the weekend series in, uh, in LA or in Korea. Number three, Scott Barlow, if um, Emmanuel Clayus Class A gets traded. And number four, Joey Weimer, a uh, high upside prospect that could potentially um, get announced that he's getting significant playing time. So again, Tim Anderson, um, Jake Rovenworth, Scott Barlow, and Joey Weimer. I will not put Weimer on any team. Okay. I, I mean, I, I just did the Brewers the other day, so I, I mean, I, I okay. saw the clip let's, yesterday. Let's change it again. because I want to make this an interesting conversation. Let's call it Wilmer Abreu, the guy on the, the Red Sox. What's his name? Will Weiler or Abreu? Bunch, bunch Wilner. So this is the this is a, you're talking a reserve round. Wiley. <laughs> Wiley Coyote. Um, All right, Anderson. Wiley coming off. Anderson is the guy that's probably had the the highest profile coming off the the least amount of stuff, and he's most likely where he lands, he could hit higher in the lineup. So he would be the first priority, and he was, you know, I mean, I guess I'm not going to say the same. He has the uh, Anthony Rendon mystique of you know putting up bad stats, but not the reputation type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Rendon gets drafted like way later, and nobody wants him. But you know, when you're playing fantasy baseball, especially in the reserve round. You're looking for a guy who's going to get the most at bats, and Anderson potentially is going to be a top, you know, two or three hitter on a team, depending on where he signs. Right? Could have some steals, his, uh, you know, home runs. He just needs a rebound of his skill set, so he would go high. Cronenworth um, just underperformed. wasn't really a big fan of him. More of steady. I think he could be helpful just in the counting stats, and he he should be a better player than he was before. Um, so I would think that he. I would say that if Anderson was in the free agent pool and he made it through the season and he started off well, I mean, he people are going to spend over 100 for him or somebody could spend more, where Cronenworth maybe would be like that 50-60 guy. What if he has two home runs in Korea? That's, that's, that's what I, that, I'm playing with the free look. We're yeah. talking NFBC. Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a stat Mueller thing, looking for the thing. And, and, I, and I always think that that's a value of the a roster slot, but I understand it. Um, so... Um, you know, John Statmuel always tried to buy the stats and puts this, he'll put on like all those extra things and try to steal that extra home run. So especially where you can put them in the lineup. So I, I, I me, I kind of ignore, don't kind of gravitate towards that. Um, who was the, the other two players? Uh, Scott Barlow and, and Wil uh, Wilner Abreu. Yeah, so, right? yeah, the Red Sox, he, I think that he would, he would be a little more of a, Abreu would be more like a $30. I mean, he kind of, you know, doesn't have the like the star prospect thing on him and you don't know where he's going to hit you don't know the longevity of how long you can keep the job um you know if he's playing well does stuff, stuff i think he's an okay player and and potentially could start and have you know be a lot better than people think um but i'm not um i don't think of the waiver wire first week you're gonna you know short sample size like how you know what is, what is he gonna do in a week to make people like all right i gotta have that guy uh, barlow the save four back, went backwards last year. Has some closing experience, you know. I don't think that. I don't think that. Um, like you're saying about a trade, I don't think that would happen before. It'd be more in season, I would think. So, you know, that that roster churn of that spot is like that. Carrying those relievers is kind of key. But he would go a little bit. He would definitely go a lot higher if he got the job. You know what I mean? Um, so, I guess I would rake him 
probably potentially waiver wire, I'd probably rank him second, you know, because he could go higher than Cronenworth, where Anderson probably has the highest value, I would think. But that's just me. Right. For, for me, I'm, I'm looking at, like, a, do I have to fill any gaps in my actual draft or my auction or the first 23 rounds? Like, did I take a shot on, say, a prospect that I'm not sure he's going to make the team as my third baseman did, did, or my second baseman? Then I'll, then I, then I will. Just, sorry, go ahead. Did the Paul the when, when the Paul Skines or whatever the guy from Pittsburgh? I know I, I think in that other thing last night he got drafted like the twenty first round. But is he a, he's a borderline? You know, are people buying him in the auction or is he going in yeah. the reserve round? He it depends. He's mostly being bought in the auctions. I've done. I have to admit, I've done ten of them already. It was all lax. And I think I think he's been in the vast majority. He's been about a dollar or two dollars in those auctions. Um, the last one I did, Kershaw went for two dollars. Like it, it, it's crazy because like every time one of those guys uh, goes in the auction, I'm happy because I'm going to get another. It means I'm going to get a good guy for for a dollar that I want. That's going to start the season. Yeah, uh, but the, Steve's the might though. He might. The, he might. The, 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 the Pittsburgh the Pittsburgh guy. If he was made it to the reserve round and say it might have a better chance in a draft format because we're like auction, you're looking for upside and people trying to fill it a little different where a draft, they might, you know, you might have the first pick and it's, it's you know, it's it different. He might make it sometimes. Um, but, you know, that guy's good. That guy's going to price his, Once he gets on the mound and he shows any experience training, he's going to go up a lot. So if he was in the waiver wire, he would cost a lot more. So but like I didn't like I haven't done any drafts. I've looked at boards and stuff like that, but I haven't, you know, um, yeah, him, but I someone like that doesn't usually keep... lost the reserves, but if he did, then of course he'd be a, he'd be a target because of like you're thinking of what the what what he's going to cost to get him. So yeah, like that's going to be even if he's a stash so, for how many months, he's still going to be a, a hugely expensive fab item. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's much better than he's much better than Kershaw because Kershaw, you know, is out for a long time in, in an unknown. Where I think this other guy is going to beat him because I don't think he's in a situation where Grayson Rodriguez was a couple years ago. Right, yeah. Grayson Rodriguez. I carried him for two months, and he gets hurt that one start, and I just he was going to be <laughs> yeah. in the majors, and I just I wasted the whole year on him. I'm like, God, I could have had some. Yeah, yeah I get I, I get I get hung up on that stuff all the time. Yeah, for me, like a guy like Yohan Moncada, like he'd be a guy that like I'm like I'm I'm usually on the same mindset, John. Like I'm looking at who's going to be the most expensive to to get if 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 he becomes something on waiver wires the first week, and Moncada is like, okay, if Moncada is like, you need a third baseman, like. He's not going to cost a lot, so it's like you're not really missing much by leaving him waiver wires. But he is a guy that I want to prioritize, like in a 15 team league. Like, let's say I have a third baseman that, um, like that, uh, that may not start the season um, or a, a, a utility. So Moncada is sort of like that perfect guy to to draft in the reserve rounds when you have an, an unsure thing in your actual draft that might take time to, like. If you have like a, one of those, any one of those prospects, I don't want to list them, but like um, any any one of those, uh, he becomes a lot more um, of a priority for me in drafts where I have an unsure, like an, an upside guy in my regular draft because he's just such a, you know what you're getting with him. So I'm gonna like I've been in drafts where I've taken Moncada like in with one of my first two reserve picks because I know that like he's one of the I needed to fill a third base spot. But I've been in other drafts where I've taken Moncada in the very last pick of the draft because like I don't know he's just there and like whatever right, but. Um, so, like the prior, this priori- prioritization could vastly differ in the drafts. So, in, in, so even up uh, Moncada or Rendon, you think Moncada is the better player? Hundred percent. So every so everybody is kicking Rendon for for a statement or whatever, but you're 
I guarantee you two weeks in the season, people will pick him up and people will get a nice ride out of him. But he's the most, like, he's going to hit third or fourth in the batting order. He's going to hit behind, you know, Trout or whatever. I mean, even what he did last year, if you look at his his beginning is the season, the RBIs and runs and stuff and batting average there. The only thing that wasn't there was home runs and he got hurt. Yeah, I understand the risk and he's a dipshit and all that stuff, but we're playing fantasy baseball. All that other sidebar and he's a, you know, whatever shouldn't even matter. Like you're drafting Mankata, who's had like one good year or whatever. Rendon's, I mean, teams are paying these guys tons of money and we can't even draft them in like the 33rd round. We, we don't even want to put a shitty pick on a guy that's going to be, batting third or fourth shouldn't that be a priority of like what's Moncada gonna hit you know seventh I don't know but imagine if Rendon just like totally balls out this year how crazy that would be because like he uh, showed every sign of just being a piece of shit he's a free look that everybody's kicking whatever and you know like especially in DC's when you it's a reserve I'm like what do you care you know what I mean like but I mean that's just my like I do care though like he's like round 30 whatever 32 I don't know where he's going but like why am I why am I drafting like it's not just like oh yeah Rondon's free luck it's not going to cost much but it's the opportunity cost like uh, round twenty nine am I going to take Anthony Rondon or Joe Boyle like he's Joe there Bo- too Joe Boyle walks Joe Boyle walks like seven batters per nine I mean yeah, what's Boyle I mean I, I forgot to mention to John when he, he was when John he, he when John was deep, whatever, when John was deep I mean, throwing Joe Boyle I forgot to mention that he uh, walks but, like seven guys in nine innings yeah. But but he but he he said he was when he was doing his description he was kind of conservative so the other guy um born um his his nickname was going to be tight cheats you know he's kind of like you know he wants to be uh you know stay on par get solid players and then get the upside later on you know so um so but you know you're looking for more upside in pitching you know but I don't you know so it's like like I said it's more of a um, I'm trying to look at Rendon's thing no you know what you do like I, I. you have to form biases when you're like in these drafts. You have to sort of eliminate players from the player pool. And Rendon's one of those guys. I'm like, fuck this guy. He's like choking a fan. Doesn't want to play. He's sucked. He's always hurt. I'm like, out of sight, out of mind. Screw him. But like when when then Sean comes on, he's like, well, you know what? Like, think about it logically. Like he's gonna be in a good lineup. He's healthy right now. Like he could just like he he's gonna be useful for periods of time. Like, oh well, fuck. I'm like, I don't know to think. I don't know to think. Look, 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 look Dude, at this. The approach is still very good for him. Just Rendon's think about this. Still very strong. But so he's look a piece about of shit. this, right? Because look, first 103 at bats last year. He would he have like one home run, but he had 19 runs, 20 RBIs, and 100 at bats. That's good numbers, right? Yep. He walked 19 times. He had 15 strikeouts. Good numbers. Right. So the only thing he didn't have was the home runs. Then he got the groin. Then he had whatever two or you know that broken leg fluke injury or whatever. So his RBI rate was 17 percent when he was up. You know, like. Okay, yeah, the average hit rate was 1.34, but, you know, it's gone down. But, you know, he's been hurt for two, a couple, you know, three years in a row. But what's the cost? Your, your cost is a guy, you're getting a guy that's going to hit. You know, he doesn't he, he doesn't have to be like a, an 80, 20, 80 guy now. You're comparing him to the guys that have to get jobs. And he has a job and he's going to back clean up and he might get hurt. But you're most likely already have somebody drafted in front of him that he's replacing. So... Like I said, I, it doesn't matter. Like like I said, it reminds me of um, I drafted in the auction league in the NFBC. Uh, I don't know. It was a, when Ryan Zimmerman was a bum, right? Right. So I was sitting in pick one in auction and reserve round. And I said Zimmerman. And I said, this is the only time it's ever happened. But 
apparently I said Jordan Zimmerman, but I wanted uh, Ryan Zimmerman. I'm like, they put the, I'm like, I said Ryan Zimmerman. So, you know, was it a brain fart or whatever? But they, King of Queens is sitting the right of me and stuck, you know, said like, you said it. I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I mean, they're, they're really pretty forgiving in those situations. Yeah, but I thought they were forgiving. I didn't get, but I, I, I didn't put up a fight. Greg would have, I don't know, whatever. So it ended up, you know, so I get Jordan Zimmerman and Ryan Zimmerman, you can look at it, you know, after a bad year, he had a good year. So he's kind of like in that same situation, you know, he's getting drafted, doesn't have the re reputation, but he was kicked to the curb and, and uh, you know, but he was kind of year. a, uh -huh. how did Jordan Zimmerman do? Oh, I didn't like him at all, but he, he was, yeah, I, I dropped him right away. But you know, the thing is I dropped, uh, it didn't really hurt me that way because it was another, um, uh, like a first base corner option from the A's that had like 27 home runs that I replaced him like the next two rounds. So it wasn't that bad, but you know, Zimmerman would have been the, um, you know, definitely the, the uh, better player for me to, you know, have. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you right now when he did that, yeah, it was like, this is like the 24th round of a draft. Like, yeah. So it was, it was on. Yeah. So yeah. So I was like the 20th. How's that for a 24th round that nobody wanted? You know what I mean? Look at, in the, look, you know, look at the two years before that, you know, injuries stink, you know, whatever, three, three years before it. Three, like, 36 home runs. Like, that was like, I wonder what he went for the next year. Yeah, but he did nothing. But like I said, he was a good, he was a good, whatever, going to hit him. But it, like I said, it just reminded me of a similar situation. You know what I mean? Because I've, you know, experienced that and not that, you know, they're giving a player around that's going to hit in the middle of the lineup. So, what year was whatever? What year was so, that? Well, uh, sorry, what uh, what league was that? It was like in a five thousand dollar auction league or something. Jeez, it should have been a bit more forgiving, I think, for that. <laughs> but I had him. I don't know. I had him in, in another league, and I did well. One of them. It's one of the one one of those leagues. I don't remember what who who I was doing it with or whatever. You never know. For me, I could be. I think that's somebody. a that's a very interesting point. I'm I'm definitely guilty of writing him off. Um, Zach, I wanted to quick clean up something from earlier because I know we have, um, I don't know, hundreds if not thousands of female listeners. And when I talked about my fantasy man segment for the CLQ, I don't want you to think that I don't realize and admire that there are uh, women players in the NFBC. I was actually talking to Jenny Butler you know, about my art exhibit. And she said she has entered. I do have a contingency plan. Uh, should she qualify? I hope she does. It's a uh, it's called the Hall of Butlers. It'll have Jeffrey from um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Lurch, Mr. Belvedere, Jenny. So I have, you know, just an art exhibit that, that will be something to really, you know, envy and enjoy at the same time. Because I want, I want good players to be a part of it. I want everyone to really enjoy it. So I hope you both qualify. Um, I got to head out soon. This has been an absolutely fantastic episode. I do, I do really think we learned a lot. So thank you, Zach, for letting me be here with your your three minds. You can close it up, Bjorn. You can end the, and you can end the podcast. We're done. Oh, well, sure. You're, you're, you're good. To. You're good at giving everyone their props and, and their handles, and you're good at giving people uh, our guest handles, right? Or handies? Or sorry, whatever. Yeah, you bet. Um, thank everyone for their time today. I really appreciate. Check out. Uh, sean underscore underscore childs and john legaza just as i spelled it earlier in the episode uh, i think we learned a lot today and i think we all uh, want to make fantasy baseball fun again thank you to zach waxman and the dc champions podcast and uh send in those pictures of your fantasy um, baseball parts and i want you to be a part of the fantasy man thanks
I'm going to send a cheat sheet. All right, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later.